We'll lead on, you know. <laughs> All right. So what we need for the three, we say three, two, one, let's go. You got to get charged up. <laughs> okay. I want that drummer in college <laughs> charged up. Okay. Okay. <laughs> three, two, one, let's, let's go. go! <laughs> I am the host of the VBE podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, and I got to sit down with Gary Gonzenbach. And we will get to Gary here in a minute. I want to first thank the trunk line. The, the creators of the legendary oil field horizontal drilling socks. And they also have a really cool platform that allows service companies or individuals even just put up your projects, put up a portfolio about what work you do and ha allow people to just review that. And it's not a phone call. It's not a meeting. You just say, this is what I've done. This is a portfolio of my work and co contact me if, if it interests you building tank batteries, drilling wells, whatever your services are, whatever your career is. That's what Trunkline's all about and integrating and really a, a modern communication tool for industry folks, for operators and service companies. The other folks we uh, we got sponsoring us is Impact Exploration Geologic Services. Have you heard of Impact? No. Mud logging, geosteering, and they have a lab. Oh. Okay. Lab in Houston's doing rocky valve paralysis. They'll even do diamondoids. You know, there's diamonds in every oil that's ever been discovered, right? Diamonds. Okay. Yes. I didn't know that. That's a fact. It's amazing. Chevron discovered it a long time ago, uh, but they don't really know how it really works yet, but they're starting to figure some, some interesting things out. Adamantanes okay. are the, the smallest crystal lattice of a diamond, Okay, and that's what a diamondoid is, and oils have all kinds of diamondoids in it. It is necessary condition for oil to be made. There's got to be diamonds. All right, in. let's get the price up. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so they run a lab that does all that stuff, XRF, XRD, things we talked about in the show, geologic parameters um, that help operators figure out what they have, mud logging, geosteering. So Impact Exploration, thank you for sponsoring this show and allowing me the opportunity to sit down with Gary Gonzenbach. Please, sir, give me a little elevator pitch of who Gary is as I pull up your LinkedIn. Hmm, Okay. I am a longtime petroleum engineer, graduate of Texas A&M. I have a large programming background. I love to do consulting. I love to learn new things. I'm curious about everything, um, but I love machine learning. I love all the statistics, data analysis, and stuff that goes along with that and how it can help with evaluations and looking at new prospects and things like that. So that's what right I do. On. All right. Well, you pretty much summed it up. I, I I sent you a connection request, by the way. I didn't even know. I you know we weren't even connected here on on LinkedIn. I I own LinkedIn. This is crit. No, I'm just kidding. What is that background? Where is this? The oh, that was okay. So we had a. That's actually the Teton Range. Whoa! Right. right so on. we we had a house, a place up in Idaho, and we sold it during COVID. But um, that was kind of like uh, a refuge and go up there and go fishing and all that stuff. And that was just... Is that up the Devil's Riverside or is that more Idaho Falls? That is up Devil's Riverside. So that is just north of... Um, Whitebird? Yeah. No, it's right. There's an elk. Elk Reserve right there. Elk Reserve. Just out of Jackson. Oh, man. And that's that picture. And so that was one of our moose hunting... Quote, moose what? hunting, moose expeditions, right? What? You so shot a, a moose? Have you shot? Not there. Yes, but yes, I have a- You have shot a moose? Yes. Took yeah. down a moose? Yes. That seems Many, like, many years ago up in Canada. Seems like a real accomplishment. How'd you get it out? Uh, horseback. Jeez. Horseback. But that particular shot was just driving around with a cup of coffee, trying to get my 
wife in a place where she could see a moose because other than what was on the fireplace, she had never seen one. So we were just oh. trying to take pictures of the animals. I said, hey, look at this. Look at this. Take a picture. And then I decided to put it on LinkedIn. Man, I love that. So that's the Teton Range just north of Jackson. I love that trip. That sounds like a great trip to do with the wife. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You're uh, okay, Gary Gonzenbach, which means geese brook. That's right. And so, what is Lock, uh, Lukenbach? Lukenbach, what's that <laughs> I mean? I don't know. So, what is Luke? I don't know what Luke is. So, I'm going to go look that up. So, <laughs> right. obviously, Bach is brook. So, right. That's a good l- l- Lucky brook? I don't uh, know. Lucky. Maybe. I have no idea. I have no idea. I think idea. you're onto it. Hey, if I was a betting man, I would be with you right now because I don't have anything <laughs> no coming idea. to mind. It's. Uh, all right, so data science and machine learning is what it says right under your name. First thing you want people to realize, licensed petroleum engineer specializing business analytics and economics. And that is absolutely true after sitting down and getting to know your story. Um, and then about, I just want to read this one real quick. Licensed petroleum engineer who is skilled programmer with a passion for data science and machine learning. I am an experienced researcher, project manager, and presenter with a history of advisory roles, expert witness, on petroleum matters and learning new technologies. Gary at cgpetroleum.com. Right on, Gary. Yeah, this was really cool. Let's jump to now quotes and quips. I just, I'm, I'm bringing it up. Do you have any quotes and quips that you really like, that you live by? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, I'll think of some. Okay. I'll think of some. If you look at what you have in life, you'll always have more. If you look at what you don't have in life, you'll never have enough. Oh, so true. Okay. Absolutely. I don't know who said that, but it Oprah makes... Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Really? <laughs> but that's you gotta I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's always where you're going, right? And what you're gonna do. Focusing right? on that, not what you Yeah, and what your blessings have... are. Every day, what your blessings are. And the sun shines this morning, and what are your blessings when you get up this morning? How has God blessed you, and what's in store for you this day? That's everything, right? Man, just coming out of the out of the house like, yes, you know, yeah. you're just charged up, absolutely, with that mindset. I love that. All right, let's uh, let's run another one. Always remember that you are absolutely unique, just like everyone else. Margaret Mead said that. I like that too. I like that too because you you. You know, what that says to me is you deserve to be here and everyone That's deserves right. to be here. That's right. And everyone has, everyone has a purpose. Everyone has something that they're contributing. Man. Right. So just, I, I like that quote because I like to remember that if you're driving in traffic and if somebody's edging you out of your lane or something oh. like that, it's like, okay, wait a minute, oh. wait a minute. There may be something going on that I don't understand. Oh, I'm not going to lose the temper, you know, just go. I can honestly it, say. They I deserve can't. to be here too. So. <laughs> yes. I, I will drive home in a happier mood because of this conversation, what you just brought up, but I am very quick to get fired up on the road. I just can't stand it. <laughs> I, know, I can't. It could be such a relaxed, easy drive. There's no reason to jerk the wheel. Just pay attention to what's in front of you, what's around you. Mm-hmm. And be curt, be nice. Just be nice. And oh man, sometimes I'm not so nice. What was that? Who started to pay it forward? <laughs> pay it forward. Yeah, there you go. Right. And You're so right. that that that's 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 about driving and everything Think about, else. Yeah, right? yeah. Put that on your dashboard. Pay yeah, it forward. Pay it forward. And just drive away. Okay, I like that. Uh, and that you know what it reminded me of was this uniqueness. Uh, you, we talked about how your your kid. I, my kids are still growing up, so they're all very much similar to me. You know, a boy's definitely different than a girl, and you know those fundamental mm-hmm. things. 
Uh, the youngest is still in kind of the blob stage, just kind of coming out of the blob stage a little bit, starting okay. to recognize dad and voices and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's it's exciting. But as they grow up, and what you said about your own children was how different they are. Absolutely. I was also thinking that's uh, that's such an interesting reflection of you and your wife and kind of the people around you that help raise your kids. They're all picking out of you know a variation of the data that they get access to as they grow up. But I was also thinking about you and your partners. You know, you had this equal partnership. How different were the three partners? You know, what very different, very similar? Pretty different, I'd say. You know, just okay. different things, you know? So, yeah, I'd have to say pretty different, just like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, right on. Okay, here we go. Never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. Absolutely. <laughs> that's that who said that babe ruth babe yeah that ruth. makes good sense right <laughs> it does make sense. yeah because then if you never do anything right what fun is it yeah yeah if you don't even attempt to swing yeah yeah i mean it's all about because everybody fails right oh i know so yeah. and the failure is okay wait a minute i learned now i'm gonna do it better or now yeah. i'm gonna you know yeah. now i'm gonna do something different yeah you know and and uh and try it again whatever it is i'm trying to go to yeah so yeah, I love those, that. I love that. Yeah. The story, like Michael Jordan, I guess, says, you know, I most, uh, well, I guess it's LeBron James now, but he's, you know, missed a lot more than he's made kind of, kind of shots. Uh, but it is incredibly challenging uh, to, a, I think, an individual, certainly a, a mom or dad, whichever one is taking that risk and it doesn't work out. You know, that is a very low place. That is a very tough place to be, but when you look, get to get through that, because you have the people around you and you realize you still have friends, you still have family, you still have people that are rooting for you and mm -hmm. you're going to get through this. It's a storm and just get in it and get out. And you do. And then you turn into an amazing individual that's inspiring many more. And, you know, you'll have a story uh, no matter what happens with that. But in your case, at least for uh, the PhD win, and the other side of the coin is you take that risk, you take the swing, you realize you are providing a value to to an industry. You are providing a valuable product that people just, I get it, and it's usable. What do you want for it? You were mm -hmm. making those deals and you were climbing that and, and eventually you got to a, maybe a similar place. That wall started to get built and a ceiling it felt like you were in and, and you're going, whoa, I, I don't want this anymore. You know, it, you, it's a different different place it's not as low as i i don't have anything you you were but it's somewhat similar no well so that goes back to i want to get up in the morning and be excited about what i'm doing yeah it's that it's yeah. just that simple right right on so and you know it's you know and it was you know from going from being a logging engineer right to an acquisition engineer to writing software to being consultant to working on different litigation cases to whatever Jeez. it's i want to do something that makes me get out of bed and run to the coffee you know not because <laughs> <laughs> not because i have to have it to survive but because right. it's like okay there's something cool going on today yeah and so i think that's i think that's everybody right yeah. i mean it's you want to be you want to do everybody's searching for that which gets them up in the morning That's right. and gets the heart going, you know, what's yeah. that, uh, Oh, what's that rush song? And it's the, Oh, I think it's, uh, Oh, 
tell me it's the what what makes your morning groove what is that line from that rush song I'll, I'll think of it probably as soon as i walk out the I'm door like, <laughs> but it's you know get your morning you know uh and your morning groove yeah i think it's i think it's the radio i'll think of it as soon as i walk out the door but get yeah. your morning groove and you know, what is it that gets your morning grooving wow right, right. so that's wow. it right so you yeah. can do stuff that that you know yeah and i don't know you know and over time you know well, I guess I did. I did that thing for about twenty years. I mean, you know, sometimes it's just time to change and find a new challenge. Yeah, yeah. Now, very inspirational. Very like, uh, I think forward thinking, and uh, I think can resonate with a lot of people. If if you're on the trajectory and everything's going up and to the right, and you know you're just thriving, uh, be sure to you know just yeah think about this kind of story too. You know, you, yeah, you're not going to fail. You know, you have all those things right in front of you, or it might feel that way. Um, but there's still a lot to think about. There's still a lot to be aware of as things change and, and you personally change or the things around you change. You got to be just aware of those things. So just the high highs and the low lows, try to get in between that a little bit. Well, you of. don't ever fail if you follow what your heart tells you to do, right? Yeah. And you keep doing it. Yeah. What does your heart tell you to do? And you do that. Yeah. Okay. You fail when you do something that your heart tells you you're not into anymore and you do that over and over and over again wow yeah right yeah so it's like yeah. life is short man yeah dude. you gotta yeah. you know life is short do what you enjoy and it'll 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 find a way to work yeah right enjoy what you do don't don't work enjoy your day yeah enjoy your life yeah right because you don't have it forever Man, that's the truth. You know, this office space was uh, was basically given to me by the, the gentleman that owned Activa, and uh, he recently tragically died in a car accident. You know, and it, it was incredible just how rough that uh, that was. And thinking of of just that concept of like you're literally here, you're scheduling meetings, you're you know, you got everything going, and and just like that, it's it's gone. You know, and, and then it's like, wait a minute, there is something carried though. There is something that carried in this room. I think there's pe the people that are still here pushing the, the businesses forward mm -hmm. are carrying that influence that he was and they remember him and they're, they're carrying that spirit with them. Yeah. Everybody has a mark to leave. Right. Huh. And I don't know, you know, there's just, you know, whatever your career, whatever you do, whatever you choose to learn, you know, it's about okay, where am I going? You yeah. know, what is the new change? What can I do? You know, and I guess I'm, I'm, I have never really subscribed to, I want to do the same thing over and over and yeah. over and over <laughs> right. and over and right. over and over. Right. So I got to do something new. And I used to be a runner and I used to play soccer and all that stuff. And I really messed up my lower, my legs and I severed Achilles and dislocations and what all that kind hell? of stuff. But that was years ago. But then was skiing up at Wolf Creek, fell, and then just didn't get better. What <laughs> like it still hurts. And I went in and finally had something done. And, oh, yeah, you need to have this replaced. And I'm like, okay. So did that. It's <laughs> replacement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right hip. Yeah. Right hip replacement. Holy cow. When was that? So let's see, I'm going in for my annual checkup, uh, 1st of May. So it's been 11 months, man. You seem to be recovering pretty good. It was amazing. Although I didn't know 
that according to the insurance, a hip replacement is cosmetic surgery. What? And then therefore elective. And I went, what? what? So anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't, I can't pretend to understand how insurance works. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know I'd done that. And so I got heavy. And then we got a nutrition coach and um, that worked pretty good. And then we went to Disney and and had Christmas (laughs) and (laughs) Thanksgiving and all that. And I'm trying to get back. Yeah. Trying to get back on the wagon. Yeah. Um, Well, listen, Gary, let's, uh, and it's Gonsenbach. How'd you say your last name? Gonsenbach. That's right. It means the geese in the brook. Really? Yeah. Gonsen is geese. Gonsenbach. Bach is brook. Is that, uh, what is that? German? German. There's actually a... um, mountain and a valley on the border of switzerland and uh germany it's called gonzen mountain and supposedly that's where the family is from whoa you know whatever 200 years ago or whatever and uh the rumor my dad always told me was that that there was a little bit of mischief with borrowing horses that shouldn't have been borrowed and the family had to leave <laughs> oh, shit. Guns and box, you're out of here. <laughs> yeah, something <Wow>. like that. <laughs> now, it's your, your dad from uh, Germany or your dad's dad? Um, so, well, and my 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 mother's side of the family was also from Germany, but not the same part. Um, so, oh. let's see. My dad's side of the family actually came. They first went to Tennessee from Gonzen mountain wherever yeah to came Tennessee. Ellis, Ellis Island did that no whole- no no long oh. before that so they actually um let's see my father's I don't know great great something grandmother okay um was in the original 300 that came with Stephen F Austin so and that was Lahan and so she came with them what right yeah and so my it's it's pretty there's some pretty cool family history yeah and so I, my and I, I lose count, but I think it's five great grandfathers had the first printing press in Texas. And he was, you know, very pro Texas revolution. This was in the time of the Texas War for Independence, right? Wow. And so he printed anti Santa Ana pamphlets and stuff. So he had that going. He had a print shop going out in Nacogdoches. Wow. And so that was his thing. And then he was also a musician. And so after the war was over and everything, he became um, the the Texas government's, what do you call them, party master or whatever. Okay, so yeah. he arranged all the music and all the stuff for the, you know, for that temporary government. And Man. I guess it was a temporary, but for 10 years in Austin when the uh, Republic. Right? Uh, Man, we got to pull from his... Uh, I don't know, his ghost to put on good events around here. We need someone like that. I've got that violin that he used to play for all Sam Houston's no parties. No way. Yeah, yeah, I've got it. I had it fully restored. No way. Yeah, you can actually it, play this thing? I can't play it. <laughs> but like it's playable. <laughs> oh, absolutely. My daughter played it for what? years. Yeah, she didn't have any rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> Minor detail, <laughs> but but she's got a really good ear, right? Ah. So she made beautiful sounds with it. They just I had to kind of put up with not being on the beat. I've played drums since I was six, oh, and so man. that's something for me. So but yeah. anyway, um, <laughs> we have that violin, and it's in perfect condition. But I have it all locked up and stuff. I need to put it on 
make a display case or something. I even thought about like loaning it to the witty or something like that. I don't know if they'd be interested. <laughs> I bet they would. That would be free. That's, that's really cool. The history of that is really cool. So my last name is Tittlemeyer and it's supposed to be German. And, but the spelling's all different when you start really going back into, into the history. Uh -huh. and we figured out that it was like, uh, gosh, I always I forget. It's like Middlemeyer or something like that. It changed to, and then you, you, you start chasing down that lineage and, yeah, somewhere in Germany, I guess, is where the my yeah. dad's dad and you know my dad was. They came through Canada, so there's no records like through America of of the Tittlemeyer name. It all uh -huh. goes up into Canada and then it hops the pond and totally gets discombobulated. But so my mother's side of the family, so she was a Schrader, okay, Schrader, and they came through Ellis Island. Well, actually, just her father did. So my grandfather did. And what's interesting is he came through. And I never knew this because he, he passed away years and years ago. Um, I just remember him when I was small. But um, there, was a, there was a woman in Fair Oaks that called me one day and said, when are you Gonzenbach's going to come get my stuff out of, come get your stuff out of my garage? I'm yeah. like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and she said, well, your sister years ago dropped off a bunch of stuff when my mother passed away years ago. And I, I really, okay, let me get it. Well, anyway, I go over and get the boxes and start tearing into this stuff. Yeah. My grandfather on my mother's side came from Germany, okay, and fought in World War One, enlisted uh. in the U.S. Army at the age of like 15. Wow. Trained out at Camp Bullis. And he was crazy enough to be one of the guys that goes up in the balloon, the artillery spotting balloons. What so hell? people shoot at you while you're up in this balloon. Yeah. And that's what he did. And so Survived. I found his old uniform no from all that kidding. stuff and some pictures from him when he was, you know, he was like 16. No kidding. It was very, I go, oh my gosh, these guys were tough. Yeah. You know, man. I'm such a wimp. Oh, yeah. No, we're like, we walk around like we got these. <laughs> like we got problems. Like, okay, at age, age 16, he was getting shot at. In a balloon. Can you imagine? And and after he had left, they didn't, I guess they didn't like the Kaiser. I, I don't know what prompted it, but I think they didn't agree with the Kaiser or whatever was going on. And so they came to, he came to America. Um, I don't believe his parents did. Okay. And then fought with the U.S. in World War One. And so whoa, that's whoa. just, it's kind of strange. And we live out uh, by Cordillera. Okay. And this woman is in Fair Oaks. And I didn't realize those boxes had been sitting there like, you know, five miles from my house for my mother passed away in 1999. So um, 15, 16 years. What? Thanks for keeping them, huh? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, this is the conception part of the PBE podcast. This is where we get to learn like about you, anything about you, all about you. Obviously, the drill down segment is going to kind of get us into what you're doing now, machine learning, data okay. analytics, and maybe uh, it kind of doctoring us up, I'm hoping, on kind of what economics really means uh, in oil and gas and kind of, okay. yeah, some ideas around that. But let's get us there. You know, where, where were you born? Um, and let's talk about kind of who inspired you to get into the, do, do you have degrees? What degrees do you have? How did you, what, how does your young professional career go? Well, you know, what's your story? Okay. All right. Well, um, I was born in the thriving metropolis of Luling, Texas. So 
<laughs> one of the best. I'll stay about the best barbecue place on the planet. Oh, now, man. I really like the place in Lockhart, but I can't say that too much because my roots are from Luling. And so there's a lot of small town rivalry there, right? Oh, man. But that Luling City Market <laughs> is darn good. Anyway, I grew up, um, actually, I didn't grow up there. I guess I was. I moved when I was about five or six, but that's where I was born. Okay. And then I worked my summers for Gulf Oil. Remember Gulf? Now yeah. Chevron. But that was Gulf Oil out in Darst Creek Field. Gulf um, turned into mobile? Mobile? No, no. Gulf, Gulf turned into, into Chevron. Oh, okay. And yeah, yeah. It was years ago, right? Gulf goes to Chevron. Yeah. And wow. so I got my degree in petroleum engineering ah. from um, Texas A&M. Ooh, an Aggie. Yep, an Aggie, which um, I did it out of... Spite, uh -oh. but then I loved it. <laughs> There's a big story behind that. <laughs> I was mad at my parents. So uh -oh. that's why I would say it. So this was the old, so th this is the mind of a 17 year old, right? Dad, I'm angry with you. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to go to AM. Oh, man. Now, what'd your parents do? Well, dad said, oh, great. Free no, country, no, do what they... you want. You're paying for it. <laughs> what did they do for like career? What, what, was their what were their jobs? What, what were their jobs? Mm -hmm. So dad is a, was a CPA and he was a graduate nice. of UT. Okay. All right. <laughs> and my mother was a business major and she was also a graduate of uh, UT. And oh, so she was a sorority man. girl and all into all of that kind of stuff at UT. Yeah. And my parents met there. Wow. And then uh, my dad actually um, got out of UT and then he, he did some time in the military. He drove a tank. Whoa. In the early 60s, he was he never fought any war or anything like yeah. that. He didn't make a career out of it. But he did, you know, he he served some time and wanted wow. to serve the country. Wow. And so he, he drove a tank somewhere, and he had some stories about that, which was oh, kind of interesting. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> wow. I went for a CPA to the military, came back, and just kept doing CPA stuff and yeah. retired? Yeah. He retired. He's still alive today. He's he's pretty ill. Okay. So, but, um, you know, he's still... He's still Fighting and still kicking, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, this this. What did he teach you about taxes? What's the secret here? Have somebody do them who knows what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know? How do you know who knows what they're doing? You know, so what? So they're you know you know personal taxes and business taxes and stuff like that right. all go to a longtime family friend. And it's a, a, a good-sized CPA firm here in, in San Antonio, ah. um, ADKF. I'll give a plug ADKF. to them. Okay. Yeah, I think they're great. Um, and so I just have them do everything. Nice. Um, because, like you said, I, you know, I got to the point years ago when I don't understand this stuff well enough, and I don't have the time right. to sit here and figure it out. Gosh, is that the truth? You know? Yeah. And, you know, and that company, I mean, they're they're good because they'll – you know, they'll do something, they'll stand behind it. If something's not right, they'll fix it. They yeah. will. I've never had anything that got kicked back or anything like that. Okay. But I have no doubt that if something was not right, they would be the first to call, you know, IRS and straighten it out. Right on. So that's what I do with taxes and stuff like that. Now, petroleum, corporate and mo tax models and all that stuff, that's a different world. Because <laughs> okay. I don't know if you're asking that <laughs> or personal. No, man, we'll get into that maybe. But, um, and so you said you were a drummer. You oh, yeah. said you, so that you, you were a drummer in high school, like you were in band, you were in a band, you started a band, are you a famous band player that I'm unaware of? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I started playing in high school. My wife and I met 
and Churchill. We went to Churchill together. Okay. And graduated together. And I played in little bands and stuff around that, but I did uh, marching band and all that. Okay. But um, I took, when I moved up to AM, um, I took all my drums with me. I had this yes. old beat up Mustang, right? <laughs> yes. 67 red Mustang, right? Tricked out big tires on it, big star. It really didn't run worth a darn. <laughs> didn't care. Didn't and it care. was everything I could do to put every drum I owned. <laughs> into that car somewhere, right? Wasn't room for clothes, there's room for nothing else, just drums. And and went up to AM and I got on campus and I tried out for this band. And it turned out to be kind of the popular band around and we played. Right? What yeah, kind of band? For, rock and roll, country? So we played rock and roll and we played um a lot of pop stuff. Uh we did um well we opened for lover boy one time <laughs> at the roxy on houston we used to play club gigs and stuff like that yeah and we did for a while there we did pretty much every fraternity and every sorority party <laughs> oh, and you, you know like stay. college station and um we did a lot of proms and stuff in houston Man. and we did wait we played waco in uh wow college so station was that like kind of your job while you went to school oh it paid for college how right on is that? You know what was fun was I had somebody to set up the drums for me. Yeah. <laughs> so all I had to do was show up and play. Damn. You know, it was great. Yeah. It was you great. Were what it. was bad though was when you had a gig in Houston. And so you get <laughs> back at four or five in the morning and then have to march right in and take a calculus exam at eight. <laughs> oh man. So I'm not gonna say it was good on the grades. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. I so you were able to get a petroleum engineering degree at yes. AM. Yes. While playing in a in a famous band amongst the A and Mers, amongst the Aggies, it was locally. Yeah. Locally, we were the band kind of on lit. campus for about two years. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> were you like the guy that like twirling the drumstick in class? Like, yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I don't think I could do that anymore because I don't try that. But uh, <laughs> you know, my thing now is double bass, right? Double so, bass. Is that when you kick it once and it goes brr, like it does a? Oh, what is the double bass? Playing with both feet. Oh, you have actual two bass drums. So I hooked mine up. I went electronic on everything on oh. my drums. So my upstairs is so I, I shut down the the office. I had an office on ten uh, out by Bernie, and when COVID hit and everything just kind of you know went, I shut down the office yeah. and just moved my office because um, at that point you know let people go or you know we had some illnesses and stuff like that and um, moved my office into upstairs. So my upstairs is. My office and drums. Nice. And I played a lot. I really got into um, Christian pop music. Oh, really? Christian mm -hmm. pop? And started playing at churches and started playing, um, right on. Um, you know, uh, there was a thing I did for a while called Faith Alive that was a lot of fun where you show up with some other musicians hmm. and play. You Jam know? out with just other Christian bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right I like on. that. So I play, um, boy, I play everything from... Christian pop to Rush is probably my favorite. We'll never, you know, <laughs> Villa Strangiato, you know, that that's just the ultimate song, right? right for on. me. Um, and um, and then everything, my kids, of course, have come along. There's been a lot of influence of other bands like Disturbed nice. and stuff like that, which I really like. I can, I'm not even going to pretend to... You know, the only way I pretend to be able to play that stuff is I turn off all the lights and I turn yes. up everything up real loud in my headphones and I just, you okay, just all right, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I don't turn up the sound and listen to me because then I know I'm not doing it. <laughs> Feels like it though. Feels like it. And I just, you know, yeah, and I just do that. And that's that's my stress relief. Yeah, I bet. It's like punching a punching bag. 
I mean, and then everybody else in the house is hearing like pad, 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 pad. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's all like, electronic. Right? It's all mm-hmm. in your in your in your ear, ear sets. Yeah. yeah. And I switch over back and forth when I want sound. Uh-huh. So I've got speakers and everything set up. And so I just can switch back and forth between the headphones or the speakers. You know, like yeah. I'm a little bit miffed at my wife. I've turned the speakers on, you know, or something like that. You yeah. know, that's like going to make some noise. I'm just curious because obviously growing up, you didn't have electronics. And if you did, they just weren't like the, what they are today. But if if you're playing a live show, wouldn't it be um, more appealing sound wise to be electronic and it's just creating the, the noise through the speakers or is having the actual you know, pillow in the bass and the cymbals, you like from the stage hearing that, like what sounds better today? So, okay. I would say it depends on the electronic gear that you get. Top notch. Right. So yeah, I, I went all out. Uh, <laughs> I just hit the mic. Um, I went all out on my, so I've got a top of the line. It's a Roland yeah. TD 50. I've got all the upgrades on it. Yeah. I've got my sampling pads. I've got, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, a sizable investment. Yeah. Right. And I've spent a lot of time. I really want to tune my drums and everything to get that old acoustic mm-hmm. sound. Mm. And the sound I like is, you know, Neil Port stuff from Rush. I like the way his kit sounded, his bass, his snare, and stuff yeah. like that. Yes. Yeah, um, and then some of the other stuff too. So you can actually, you know, if you have good equipment on the electronics, you can tune it. Wow. Um, you can tune it perfectly. I mean, you can like place, electronically place the mic within the drums. Wow. Yeah, where, right where, the, where the focal point of the sound yeah. is, yeah. right? And you can do that. You can adjust the tension of the heads. You can, do, the? You can do everything. It's, it's pretty involved. Wow. Yeah. So uh, would you say that an electronic set done the right way, would that sound better in a stadium or on a, on a, in a live area like, you know, doing a live show on the river here, like I think if your sound guy is good, yes. Okay. And I'll say this. So the thing is, so you have to rely on your sound guy for really good volume control. Right. Right. So, um, and I'll say things like the hi-hat and stuff, some of the nuances and stuff on the hi-hat. I just like last year finally got a hi-hat rig that I really like that's electronic, that gives me the feel and the sound mm. of those old time thin hi-hat pedals and that really good splash right but the volume and this is a little bit different you basically can can play at more or less the same volume you don't have a lot of change in volume and how you play you just play okay and so you want to rely on sound guy to some degree right you know to to do that for you have the ear for that to have the ear for that yeah interesting yeah Man, bring me back to the college days, dude. I'm, I'm all excited. I'm like walking around with you like a roadie, man. I'm I had so much play. fun. <laughs> yeah. I had so much fun. It was not good for the grades, but I wouldn't have traded it for anything. <laughs> uh, you know? Now, let's, let's go back to that. Let's talk about just kind of technically what really was your understanding getting out of, out of college. Did you know you were going straight into a master's or did you go straight into industry? What were you learning technically from a petroleum degree in in uh, AM? Well, okay. So let me tell you how I kind of started off because petroleum was never my dream to go into. Okay. Right? My dream, I was the kid who was either, if I was not playing drums, I was building airplanes. Wow. Building, you know, like the model airplanes and stuff like that. So you could crash them and watch them explode and <laughs> that kind of stuff. I was yeah. very into that. I would spend months wow. building a model so I could... 
crash it turn let it fly a little bit and crash right wow. to me that was fun but uh <laughs> so i always wanted to be an aeronautical engineer okay that, yeah. and so and then i got up there and i talked around a little bit and i was i was a little afraid that i would get pigeonholed into and i know this isn't always the case because i've met people since then who had what i would consider dream jobs but i was a little bit afraid i would get pigeonholed into like designing the the wing fastening nut of the Jeez. tail wheel on a plane or something like that yeah um and i had at one point um um and i got accepted i was going to go to the air force academy whoa and um, after your undergrad uh for undergrad Oh, for undergrad. For undergrad. Is, okay. I and see. that was about the time my parents got divorced and it was, I was mad at both of them. So yeah. I did the ultimate, you know, here's a stick in your eye. I'm not going to do Air Force and I'm not going to go to Texas. I'm going to go to AM instead. And so Amen. that was kind of how I got to AM. And then I got there and I loved it. Right. I really yeah. thought I would um, teach my parents a lesson <laughs> and uh, I'd go to AM for a year and then I'd transfer to UT. Right. Um, okay. It's just like, I was just kind of getting after you. I'm going to go to you. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's, it's all okay. It's all okay. But then I got there and I loved it. Um, but, and the thing is I had a call him my uncle. He wasn't really my uncle. He's a cousin, but he was like vice president of research for uh, golf. Oh man. And he was um, uh, teaching. Geologist, engineer? Yeah, petroleum engineer. Okay. Reservoir engineer. And so, I mean, he did a lot of projects. Like, I think he, like, invented gasification of coal, or his team did anyway, like, years and years and years ago, right? right? In the ground, right? Yeah. And so, and he was a heavy influence on, why don't you give this a shot? You might really like, especially the detailed part of this stuff. Yeah. And so I did, and I liked it. And so I just stayed with petroleum engineering and at A&M and loved it. Right so on. that was really, it wasn't a strategic move. It was yeah. more me kind of following following the path that was put in front of me, really. Right. Yeah. At least you had the maturity, you know, to, to identify that and go, okay, there's a solid path this way. I kind of, I'm liking what I'm hearing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's good. It, it was fun. Um, it was hard. I mean, there was a lot yeah. of attrition. Um, you know, there was a lot of... A lot of, you know, friends that you make one year that next year were no longer in the program. It was a lot of attrition by the time you got to the end. Yeah. And so that was a little bit, um, eh, that was a little bit tough. But yeah. I had the band going and, you know, just put down roots and, and really, really enjoyed it. Man, got through it. So as you were finishing up your degree at A&M, were you clearly going into kind of the internship? Was that after college, during college with golf? So, no, that was during college. Right. And that was just, oh. I worked at a roustabout, you know. And so that was my summer job. You went and just like kind of worked on tanks and flow lines. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and back cool. then it was so different. <laughs> it oh, was like, oh. you know, you're, you go clean out the, the, <laughs> the stock tank. You go do this. You go do this. <laughs> Don't breathe that H2S because yeah. it's no good. You know, and that was kind of the safety lecture. At the time. Things, things have changed. You know that smell? You smell that? You're yeah. like, yeah, like that's H2S. You don't want too much Don't do that. that. <laughs> if you smell H2S, go uphill, not down. That's right. Right? That's right. Roll um, downhill. And then, of course, I picked like the wrong time to get out of school, right? Because that was 85. Oh, wow. And so I think oil was 12. Oh, my gosh. I was lucky enough 
And my grades were average. I mean, they weren't terrible, yeah. but they weren't great. You knew what you were doing, but you weren't the star of the class. Nope. Right? N- never. Never. Understandable. Um, I did get lectured one time for not studying hard enough. Uh, my uncle, cousin, and the dean pulled me in. Oh, had a talking. Had a talking. <laughs> this is after one of those 4 a.m. like Houston shows. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, and the resulting calculus test that was like... <laughs> Can we pretend that was on a scale of 10? (laughs) That didn't go well. Yeah, Yeah. so I got pulled in. I got lectured. That's like, you really need to study, you know? And so, um, you know, I I was never the most studious person in the world. Yeah. Uh, Probably didn't. I probably, I did stuff that I considered fun. Yeah. And things that weren't quite as much fun, I tended to lose focus (laughs) on, which... Is not what you're supposed to tell an engineer, <laughs> right? But that was me. Yeah. That was me. But so then um, I had three offers getting out of Andy, which was un- unusual at the time because the price had crashed. Oh, yeah. And uh, I went to work for Halliburton. Okay. And so I was an open hole logging engineer. Right on. And so I logged wells from Del Rio to Baton Rouge. Right on. You know. Oh, the whole coast. Yeah, yeah. Plain. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that was very interesting. <laughs> uh, that was hard. That was Man. hard. All right. So when you say logging engineer, you were the guy, because I've, I've done the logging. I've sat in the trucks, and you're the guy that's actually pulling the wheel, making sure the speeds are right, making sure the tools are working properly. You, yeah, I'm running the crew. So, And I was an engineer in training. Okay. Right? So I'm sitting there, and I'm basically, it's my crew. Right. Yeah. And I worked there for a year and then I left for another job. Okay. Maybe I worked a year and a half. I don't remember. But there was a, always a senior guy, at least somewhere close. Yeah. So I was an engineer in training uh, as an open hole logging engineer. And so technically I had a crew Man. and all that kind of stuff. You ever and lose a tool? Close. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I remember. Now, we never lost one. Um, we got stuck multiple times. Oh, man. Uh, Just pulling like 40,000 pounds. Trying to- <laughs> I remember. I remember this. Um, and you're familiar with a board location in Louisiana, right? Yeah. In the swamp, right? Okay. So you go out and they just set timbers down, right? To be able to drive the trucks out there <laughs> to get to the rig location. And so, and it was deep at the time, Louisiana. And um, boy, I remember we were, we, we finished our run, okay. right? And, and we, you know, you, 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 you get down and there's a lot of clays and stuff like that. So it's, it's actually kind of hard to get down because you've got sloughing and stuff Whoa. going on. So you get down, right? And then you get your, uh, you get your, your your logging run done. So you're coming up out of the hole mm-hmm. and then you get above the, the zone that you're logging and then you run like hell yeah. the cable to get out. Get the hell out of it. Right? And we were doing that and it was late at night and late at night and late at night and everybody had gone to sleep. I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm, the, I'm, I'm up, I'm watching things <laughs> and it's probably three or four in the morning and I'm like going as fast as I can to get out of the hole because one, we needed to get the next job. But two, there's like, Okay, you don't, I don't want to get stuck. I oh, want to get yeah. out of here because we're not to casing yet, right? And uh, we got stuck. And I just will never forget <laughs> that sound of, <laughs> which is like the sound of a big reel suddenly biting down and like looking up and going, is that rig getting closer, you know, kind of thing. It scared the shit out of me. And I did 
I don't know. I did about 15 things at once without thinking about it <laughs> yeah. and stopped us. And then we got out and then I was highly awake. Uh, yeah, I don't want to forget that. <laughs> With more than 35 years of experience in the industry, Impact Exploration Services has you covered for all your mud logging, geosteering, and geoscience service needs. Impact Exploration Services covers every basin in the lower 48 and can customize the services to your needs. Impact Exploration Services sets the professional standard. And the next time you have problems to solve and questions to answer, think Impact Exploration Services. This episode is brought to you by Trunkline. You probably know Trunkline as the company that makes the legendary oil field horizontal drilling socks. And it's true, our drill baby drill socks featuring a heel to toe wellbore are 100% American made and are designed right in the heart of the oil and gas industry. But did you know that Trunkline is also a revolutionary digital marketing tool that can transform the way you advertise your oil field services? You can showcase your company's project track record on Trunkline and our automated platform will boost your exposure through social media, email marketing, SEO, and more. Now, whenever one of your new customers asks you, can you show me an example of your work? You can simply turn them to your Trunkline portfolio. It's more effective than a brochure, it's less expensive than sponsoring a whole other golf course, and easier than maintaining your website. Join more than 200 service companies on Trunkline by signing up at register.trunkline.com today. Let's go. <laughs> but you know, that kind of stuff happens, you Heck know. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And thank God they, I mean, because what kind of tool was it? It wasn't a neutron, was it? Did uh, you lose yeah, one? I don't think it was. That <laughs> could have condemned the whole hole, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's, that's a great story. Okay. Yeah, so. you had to be really careful with the neutron stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I think that was a triple combo. So it was a big wow. line. It was not, a long yeah, line. 200 foot tool string uh, or maybe not. Not that long. I 100? think they were about 90 feet. Nine, you got three tools on 90 feet? I think so. If I'm remembering correctly. Wow. Something like that. Nice. So. Ah, yeah, yeah. No, I guess a quad combo. If you're running like Sonic, I guess w with that. Maybe it adds another 50 Sonic fingers. and induction and a neutron, I think. Oh, that's what you were running. Resistivity. You always had gamma yep. ray. Yeah. Yeah. Gamma. You always had gamma. And I'm trying to remember. It's been a long time. I think that was it. I don't know. Though. That particular job, I don't remember exactly. But that's what we usually ran. Okay. Triple combo means you are you have resistivity, density neutron, and, yep. and, and gamma ray and resistivity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Quad combo is the FMI lot when you add an image log. Is that what that is? I think so. Okay. We didn't run many of those okay. back then. Man, Halliburton in the 80s uh, from Del Rio all the way to freaking Baton Rouge. Man, that's cool. Yeah. All right. It now, was some good experiences. I, I will say, if you want to learn, that's, that's a good place to go. What started with that internship, I mean, you really want to learn, get out there and, and, and gauge these tanks and mess around with the flow lines and yeah. the wellheads and like... When I got my first set of wells, I was blown away that you know, how it actually works when the oil actually comes from the subsurface, mm -hmm. gets to the wellhead. It's one thing when that drop of oil actually gets to your tanks yeah, yeah. is a whole nother thing. And it's all, the timing, the, the, the cyclicity. It's like, what's really going on and how are you really optimizing production out here? Mm -hmm. Um, 
it, it just makes me, for me, it, it, it identif- I identified that there is a lot of opportunity, I think, in the industry to go back into fields with modern technology, modern concepts, and optimize production. Well, that's what, that's a lot of what, uh, you know, doing things along those lines now, but more in terms of software models and stuff to do that. Right on. You know, like flowing bottom hole um, pressures and things like that. Yeah. Calculated, right? Yeah. So calculating them as opposing to, you know, just directly measuring them and stuff yeah. like that. You know, right so on. a lot, you know, I don't work out in the field uh, anymore. I haven't really, I haven't worked out in the field since Halliburton and, and golf. So it's been many, wow. many years. What happened after Halliburton a year and a half, you get a job to go work, uh, opportunity. Yes. So I got a call, um, with a small company here in San Antonio Nice to do acquisitions work. Huh. And I'm like, well, what does that really mean? I mean, I was young, right? I didn't know yeah. what it means. Um, but I, I had an aptitude for computers when I, like when I worked at uh, Halliburton, I put the, the you know, the, the well-log calculation stuff, I put it all on my HP41C. I don't know if you probably don't know what that is. No. Um, it was the best programmable calculator that I thought, any way that was ever made. So right. I, put the, I put all that stuff on my calculator, and I like to mess around with programs and stuff. And I got a call from a company in, um, that was an acquisition company, very small. Um, had uh, just a couple of principals, right, and then a small staff. So we're talking under ten people, mm-hmm. right, and then some field, you know, some field uh, personnel and stuff nice. like that. And they wanted me to be um, an evaluation engineer, right. So what that entailed at the time was let's run decline curves, let's run volumetrics, let's look for fields to buy, let's look for properties to buy, and they had an investment group. Um, you know, that they were, they had a trusted investment group and everybody knew each other. It's like we, and we would go in and recommend, here's some things to buy. That's right. And then, you know, in an exchange that the investment group would give a piece to the, you know, to the company. Right. And that's how the company lived. And so we did that. The investors would actually buy the lease. Yeah. So actually we would buy the lease and we would, or, and we didn't usually didn't buy a single lease. It would usually, we would go in and buy. Um, parts of a field, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're talking, I mean, at least, you know, usually at least 30 to 60 wells or something like wow. that. thousands of acres in some cases, I bet. Yes. Know. Okay. Yes, and then wow. we would package it up. And we had, and the, the, the principal of the company um, knew enough about what the investment group wanted, and there were multiple, so they would say, this fits you. That's right. Right? And yeah. then if they said no... You know, we, the they had temporary day. funding to hold everything and all that, but then they would go to the other group and say, okay, they had first ride on this. So now here's something that is pretty much in your wheelhouse on the type of properties Great. that you, that you're looking for. Returns and so they just for. built portfolios for those investment groups and they that's, were really successful. I mean, that's it. Let's create another one of those things <laughs> <laughs> because the investor money, okay, it funneled to the company, the company bought the the assets with investor money right mm-hmm. okay okay well yeah yes and no so the deals went certain different ways so the investor company set up funds okay to use right and then also the principals were wealthy enough to do some stuff on their own Got as it. well right right but usually it was okay we're gonna buy this field 
And we're confident that one of these investment groups is going to come in and they're going to want this. They're going to want all of it or they're going to want a substantial piece of it. Got it. And then we would do things like we would help manage it. I mean, I ended up writing a, an accounting system in <laughs> GW Basic. Um, I bet you don't know what a PC Junior is. No. PC Junior, you got me. <laughs> okay. So let's think Abacus. Okay. And then probably the next step after the Abacus was the PC Junior. <laughs> okay. I'm exaggerating. But um, <laughs> I wrote... I wrote an accounting system and it was literally, and of course the, the floppy, it, there was no hard drives back then. That was before hard drives existed. Okay. Okay. okay so we're getting kind of the, the Some time floppies. Frame. Yeah. So you would load, so it would load, it took like five or six floppy disks <laughs> to load this program. The hell? Right. That would then load enough into it and then it would load files and you would be swapping those disks and stuff out while it ran. And then what that, program would do is run through all of the checks that came in, you know, categorize the monies, route, uh, uh, you know, route the subsequent checks. It was a big check writing system, right? And it would write checks to the investors based on their ownership share and however many properties they had bought into. It would take two or three days to run. (laughs) (laughs) One week accounting, three weeks engineering. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I ended up writing a decline curve program in GW Basic as really? well on a PC Junior. Yeah, right on. Yeah, my Did my you... boss had started it, and then he said, "Here, you finish it," kind of thing. Okay. And that was actually my first decline curve program and economics program. Wow. And it was written in GW Basic, and so you have to realize how far back that was because. You know, yes. Aries, okay, was like one of the first ones, but it was barely even out at the time. Wow. Right. So, and it was called, um, I think it was called Garrett Systems is what it was called. Right. Okay. And, and it was just in its infancy. Right. And so we just wrote our own and we did it. I did it in, in GW Basic, um, adding on to what my boss had done. And then we built it and it was really pretty good. (laughs) And then built economics around it, did the whole nine yards and then kind of really optimize it so we could go really, really, really fast when we're looking at properties. Can you break down the basics of what what that software actually did? You mean like, decline curve software in general or that particular program? Just the basics of, yeah, of that program. So that particular program, um, so what it would do, let me think back. So it was Dwight's was the data vendor. Whoa. Dwight's, which became PI, which became, became IHS. IHS. So yeah. it was when you pulled your Dwight's data via modem. Okay. <laughs> so you're talking like production data. Mm-hmm. Production okay. data. Yeah. So it that particular program would pull that data, right? And I would go to the microfish reader and I would look up or commission codes and API codes and that kind of stuff, pull the data, download it from Dwight's, and then I would run it through this program. And what it did was it would, if I recall, it ranked properties you're looking at by biggest cumes to smallest or something like that to give you some kind of initial first run prioritization. And then it would actually run you through each property 
and it would auto scale everything, pull up gas, oil, water when there was water. Yeah. Right. It pulled that up on the screen, arrange it for you. And we did a system. It was really very fast. That was, um, uh, um, you could take your decline line and you could balance it okay. using your arrow keys. And so you'd have, I have like one hand on a next, you know, a page down key for next well, next well, next well. And the other one on a left arrow, right arrow, up arrow, kind of down best arrow. Fitting, best fitting the... Yeah. So what it would do, so what it would give you an initial and it just ordinarily squares, nothing fancy, right? Put a line up there for you and it would put a bubble on the last point. Yeah. Right. And so then you could take that and you could back that point up a little bit, right? And then you could start your decline and then you could like change your decline, you know, rate, um, you know, and all that kind of stuff with the four keys and then get it where you want it. And then it would give you your projected reserves and all that stuff. Then you'd hit the next button and it would bring up the next lease and you'd make a pass through that. Jeez. And you could really move. The trick was it set up everything for you. Yeah. Right. Like nowadays, I think what everybody does is they're going for a mass curve fit, which I'm still kind of only partially sold on that. Right. Yeah. Like I, like I to look, look at, at it, look at a, uh, a deal being sold and it's like, here's our expected Woodford curve. And then on the backdrop of the, of the expected fake curve that's saying, this is what we think we can do. It's like 500 Woodfords that are like down here, mm -hmm. way up here. And like, it's all clouded up with just a, like every Woodford that ever existed, it looked like. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of, there's where we'll be somewhere in the middle of all this. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of, I've, I mean, even today, my approach isn't quite that. So, um, and we can get into that later, but I used to do some, um, um, anomaly, got some anomaly and, and grouping pieces that I've written. And so I group wells and have it pull together things that look very similar Okay. based on certain characteristics. Wow. And then I have wow. actually have it tell me what those characteristics are. And then I pull pieces together and group them. And then I do my backdrop. It's because wow. I don't like, you know, wow. unless it's Haynesville or something like that where everything is pretty much the same. I don't want to see everything in a field. I want to see, I, I want, I want some sanity on what my <laughs> analogous well set is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I use a little bit of machine learning to do that now All right. and okay. group things for me. And then I, then I do that. Process. Right on. All right. So back to the, uh, What'd you call the, uh, the, it wasn't Garrett's. That was, uh, it was Garrett systems, which I think that it was, was original Aries, right? It was the original Aries. What was yours called? We called it decap. Decap. <laughs> like it. Decline curve analysis program. Nice. And my boss came up with that name, man. You know, and it was, it was internal. It was all GW basic, you know, That's and it was just for awesome. internal use and stuff like that. And that was really, that was an inspiration for PhD. Um, when I went out on my own okay, and, uh, there was a PhD for DOS and then there was a PhD win. Wow. PhD win is in PhD windows. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Rock it back just for a second for me. You get, uh, you get the production data. It says, all right, this well started recording production monthly, um, in December, 1972. It's now December, 1986. And you go back a few months and you come up with, all right, this, I feel good about this, this decline curve. You make that adjustment. The software then projects based on that line that you made all the months moving forward. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you, one of the things, and I don't even, I don't know if Aries is still like this, but one of the things that um, I thought was a little cumbersome with the old Aries, and I don't know if it's like this or not, was that you had to calculate cumes and all that. So you calculated cumes to a certain point, and then you projected forward. Oh, to kind of help with how the well's going to go. Okay. Yeah. And so that one, and so like the first one, it's like, I don't want to do that. The, the history is the history. Yeah. And so I want to draw my line wherever it is. And then I want it to swap out every bit of history I've got over that line. And I don't want to have to set cubes or anything like that. I just wanted to do it automatically because it was a time saver. And so, so that's that's how we did that. So that's decline curve analysis. But to, to run it into some kind of economic model, what it might be worth, you now have to project what the average WTI price is going to be at each one of those points projecting the next 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. So how did it do that? How did well, so we pulled pricing schedules and we built pricing models, right? So we built little, you know, slightly CSV. optimistic. <laughs> CSV. Models. Well, CSV tables that were pricing models. Wow. You know, and, and you would do that and you would calculate your differentials, right? What's For, a calculated differential? Talk to me about that. Uh, well, right. So um, like regional marketing, right? So if you take a WTI price, mm-hmm. you're sales oil contract is probably not going to be exactly WTI. Right. Right. Yeah. You get discounted up for different things. Right. Yeah. Transport, you know, maybe it's part of transportation. Maybe it's the facilities that are close by. Maybe it's the contract you have, whatever it is. Yeah. There's going to be some differential to the price. Yeah. Right. And so then you calculate that and apply it to your WTI. So you have to look at some check stubs right. or whatever you have run your, Pick your, your your pricing forecast model that you're going to use that you think is representative. Yeah. And then then you hindcast a little bit, look at your differentials, see, okay, for the last 12 months, how have my differentials been running? Mm. And then you project that forward against whatever price model you do. Okay. Yeah. And that program did that mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Just load it in with a floppy, hear the differentials, go at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you would, you know, there was some prep, obviously, right? Because you had to make, you had to make all these CSV files to hold the price models, you know, or you could just tell it flat and give it a price. You could just do that. Oh, nice, right? But, flat, yeah, <laughs> right. But or you could, yeah, that'd be, yeah, maybe not appropriate so much anymore, right? Um, but yeah, so it did all that, did the differentials. Um, and we would, you know, you would look at that. You would look at, uh, gravities. Gravity of the oils. Oil. Mm-hmm. Love that. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Would you um, actually plot it around the field or just kind of mm-hmm. give it an average? Oh, you'd plot. We'd plot it and then pull an average from usually, um, do a lot more than that now. But back then, yeah, yeah. you would take an average for the area. Right. Yeah, and so you did that oil gravity, gas gravity, of course the ownership deck. So you'd have an ownership deck for everything, right? With whatever reversions. So you had to have that because An usually- ownership deck. That's yeah. talking about uh, where the profits actually have to go, like overrides and royalties and working interests. Is that the- is that Yes. The, okay. Yeah. And especially almost everything we did, there was some kind of back end after payout, right? Back end after payout. Back end after payout. Okay. So you, you there was a certain point you get to profit wise and then all of a sudden it- things change percentages change then your then your then your ownership would increase so usually you made some kind of deal especially when you're using 
you know, you have, you have an investor group, right? Right. And it was, okay, so you do the work, you find this stuff for us. There's some fee, there's something associated with that. Right. Then assuming, and it, everybody is structured differently, right? But I think that this is kind of, or at least I think this is kind of common. And it was, okay, so, you know, basically we're going to give you enough to survive and keep going. <laughs> right. <laughs> but your money comes in if the properties do what you say they're going to do. Yep. And they pay out. At that point, your interest goes up. Nice. And now, and now you're making money. Nice. So that was how you structured most of it. Back end at back end after payout. Yeah, just a reversion, right? Like that. I mean, it's pretty common. Yeah. And there. Now, my the deal I'm running is very flat. It's like uh, you put up the money, and we just split it and and run. It yeah. Doesn't matter. If we really perform great, you you made more money. I'm making enough to go after another lease. Yeah, is is my mentality right now. But yeah. maybe I need to start That's okay. thinking That's about okay this too. back end. Well, you can attract more money that way, right. right? If you're looking for investors, because they're not, they don't really share with you as much, unless you know what you're telling them. Your models, you know, are, are accurate. So, in other words, you have to perform. Yeah. Right. And it proves to them that you're performing and then and then you make more money. So you just take less on the front end. So, right. you know, I think investors are a little bit more um, fine with comfortable that. with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. So but that's not always the case. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's just like, go, 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 go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or they may. Um, it's also a way for if you you know if you're confident in the life of the properties and stuff like that, it's a way to end up with a bigger ownership share. Right. I mean, where do you think your money is? Is it later, or is it all in the first eighteen months? Right. Right. And so you really kind of want to look at something like discounted volume or something like that to get a a value that takes into account the time and things like that. It's right? awesome. Like. Yeah. You know, you can discount a cash flow. You can also discount a volume. You can discount the volume. Right. Yeah. Sure. So then you can get a sense of how much is this well worth? Because then it's like a common playing field. Right. So if you're looking at something that's really front end loaded mm-hmm. versus something that, okay, maybe the decline is not nearly steep. You know, if you're looking at Permian Basin or if you're looking at Eagleford, you know, you've got that big drop off right. and most of your production is in the first 18 months. That's right. Right. Eight months, maybe. Or maybe eight months. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, you know, discounted volume is one way to look at things, but doing, you know, reversionary interest is a way to get your overall interest higher because basically you're saying, okay, I'm not going to take much money up front unless it does what I say it's going to do. Right. And then in exchange for that, I want a bigger piece of the pie when it gets to that point and when you've gotten your money back. Right. When all you got, yeah, exactly. When you're taken care of mm-hmm. and you define that, mm-hmm. that's not on me. And they mm-hmm. go, okay, I've defined that. Great. Mm-hmm. When that happens, things get reorganized. Yeah. Yeah. Or balanced. Yeah. Yeah. It's really not a bad way to do it. Yeah. It just is, you have to balance on, okay, can I, you know, how much operating capital do I need? Right. Right. And how much, you know, is the investor group supplying upfront operating capital to you? Right. And those things. So it's all you have to put it in the mixing bowl and That's right. figure out where the deal is. <laughs> Start painting the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Man, yeah. right on. Okay, so um, you you you're now building some custom software. You're out of Halliburton. You're really doing more programming at this point. Is this kind of a, how long do you do this after Halliburton with this uh, small shop in San Antonio? So then I did that for, I don't know, four or five years. Oh, nice. Okay. And then we had yet another crash, right? <laughs> and then... Um, the crash in... Uh, this well, so I guess it was more like, oh, so when was that? So let's see, I got out of school in 85. So I guess it was early 90s. Yeah, cowboy era. Yeah. And, um, and so, and the company was having some hard times and everybody got laid off except for the two principals and that right. was it. And so believe it or not, <laughs> I had a buddy from A&M who was a, uh, he was a Aggie quarterback. He was a backup quarterback. Nice. <laughs> and he said, Hey, we do Navy contracting. Wow. You know, civilian Navy contracting. Yeah. Why don't you come write some programs for us? And I went, okay, <laughs> sure. Just like so that. off that, I, I did that. So Whoa. that was probably where I really learned some pretty intense programming. I learned how to do that kind of stuff. I was actually working for Navy, and we did uh, some petroleum engineer, but I built a Navy tech manual system. Huh. Uh, and this is this is ancient, man. I mean, this is... <laughs> Before, okay, so we used worm drives. You know, worm drives. Uh, <laughs> That's totally like another language, man. It is, man, isn't it? Isn't it? I think of my dad, you know, when my dad's going through, what's a cell phone? How do you use it? You know, yeah. it's like, okay. Um, so same thing. But um, glad I'm on his level. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was these big 12-inch optical platters. That's what oh, we stored wow. data on. So this was before CDs. Right. And compact about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, and you built a a big array, right? And you would store, and we did uh, image data. Okay. So, TIFF images of every Navy manual that we could find. We tagged them with barcodes and then basically wrote a system so that everything that went on and off a ship um, had a barcode. And the whole end goal of that was. Hmm. Um, you know, systems get moved on and off a ship, parts get upgraded, stuff like that. They'd get barcoded. And so the, the whole end goal was when the sailor um, pulled out a, either wanted to print, because sometimes they would print, or wanted to pull up a, a terminal and see how to fix a gun or fix something, the barcode system would rebuild itself and give them an accurate representation that matched the exact equipment that was on the ship at that time. Right on. So that was the goal for that. Yeah. That's so I did cool. that for a few years. Yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. And learned some pretty intense. There were some really smart guys at that company, system guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, one of them I've, I talked to recently uh, that just were really, no, this is how you program. This is how you build systems. This is how, I mean, they were hardcore, you know, computer systems guys that, yeah. I mean, spoke Just assembler and C like it was nothing, right? And uh, so I, I learned a lot from those guys. Uh, it was a great experience. Man, you're in your 20s, right? You're in your mm-hmm. mid-20s, late 20s? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, mm-hmm. so you get that stint. Yeah. What uh, What comes next? Well, I always wanted to go back to the oil field. Okay. Right? And so, um, you know, but I wanted to ease back into it. And I also pretty much knew I didn't want to work for anybody. Okay. All right. So I'm just kind of independent. 
Right. Yeah. You've had a pretty interesting career up to this point. Yeah. And so, and I was working with that, that company doing that and, um, they were really, really good to me. And I said, here's my heart is not in this. My heart is in the oil field. Right. I said, I want to go back. Wow. And they said, okay, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I'm trying to figure this out, but I'm just want to be up front with where my heart is. Yeah. And so, um, those guys, um, I were really some good guys and they, they said, look, here's what we'll do. Why don't you start to ratchet down your schedule as much as you want okay. and you stay here, you know, and we'll just proportion down to whatever you want to work and you can wow. wean yourself off, you know, work half time. And go do your oil field stuff the other half time or whatever combination you want to do. So they that were nice. They were they were really good to me. And they said, so just go do it. You know, go follow what you want to do. Yeah. And do it. So I did that. And then got back to the oil field. So what was your first job back to the oil field? So it was actually um so that was what do you call it? That was actually it was self-employment, right? But it was right. Texas Royalty Consultants. Wow. Okay, which was the precursor to TRC, which was all the precursor to PhD Win and all that stuff. And it was we were actually looking at um, stripper wells, and we were going to buy stripper wells and go in and, you know, and do that kind of thing. And we never really got it off the ground. Oh, man. Um, but I wrote some software to help us do that and to help us analyze that stuff. Quickly get the, the stripper well uh, historical production in, in a program and start seeing how much, how, many, how much more legs does this thing have. Mm -hmm. Exactly. The exactly. Heck? And look at what's a good candidate and all that other kind of stuff. And that, that really didn't get off the ground. Um, I put a lot of time into... Okay, <laughs> the software and writing that and all that kind of stuff. And I'd used a lot of stuff I'd learned from, quite frankly, from the Navy, you know, and that stuff. And let me build the next system and make it more, um, uh, more sophisticated, right? And so built that. And then that really wasn't moving anywhere. And so then it was like, and I had, well, I remember him, a guy named Frank Moore. Frank Moore. He's long since retired. I was out towards Bernie, um, and South Texas Drilling. I don't know if they're still around or not anymore. I heard of them. And uh, Steve Brunton, who's still a good friend, and he's still around. And these guys had seen the work I'd done. It's like, well, why don't you just sell us? Can we just start buying your your software? And I'm like... Like as a light, like they want a license? Yeah. So that was my first thing. It's like, so you want to pay money for this? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And, and <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> and that was kind of the genesis of, it was Texas Royalty Consultants, which then we had some real estate company in East Texas that was Texas Realty Consultants that challenged the name. Oh, no. Like, Fine, we'll just be TRC, you know. And so then it became TRC. And then that was the first time that really there was a transition from pure consulting to software. Whoa. So the software was owned a hundred percent by you. I had two partners. Okay. So I had, well, I'll say I had two partners since the beginning. So the three of us owned it. Okay. Yep. Third, a third, a third. Yep. It's yep. awesome. Yep. Perfect. 
everybody had equal voting rights mm -hmm. did you have ever okay you didn't have the uh the final say uh, i had like a tenth of a percent more than the other guys individually but collectively if they thought no we don't like this then they all voted me. yeah so it's 33.3 33.3 and 33.4 yes that's you it. were the point four. And I was point four. Man. Yes. yes. All right. So now you you need to figure out how to legally license the software. Uh -huh. So you hire lawyers or how does this all go? Yeah. Did a bunch of research, mm -hmm. right? Figured out how to do it. And then. I mean, what were the models back then? What, there was your competitor right away was Ares. Ares and uh, Ogre. Ogre Systems had a pretty good, in the early days, Ogre had a had a really good decline curve system. I think it's called Ogre 6. Now it's called Continuum or something like that. But back in the days, I think it was called Ogre 6. And it was pretty darn good. So Did those, you reach out to those guys and say, hey, how do you set up your contracts? No. No, I just kind of researched and yeah. did it. Attacked it from a, a fresh angle. Yeah. How long did it take when that guy said, hey, I wanna, I'm going to license this software from you to actually getting that deal inked in? Oh, it was really quick once we set it up. Yeah. Because, okay, so, yeah, here's maybe one thing that, that kind of launched a lot of that was, you know, we kind of took the stance that the software was free, but the licensing cost you money. So we came up with a method um, to hand out demos that were the full-blown thing, but they were encrypted, right? And they would run for a few days, and then they would turn off. Okay. Right? And so we just handed those out everywhere we could. And I think the trick at that time was there was no, there was no, I mean, there were some movements in the, in the industry to try to standardize data formats, but it never really caught on. And we came up with a way that you could take a whole evaluation and shrink it down and email it. And it would run exactly the same on any machine you put it on what? as long as you had PhD win. And so the banks really like that because now they could trade data with their clients. And so they kind of got started on that. And so it was like here and pass out the demo and you can pass out a demo to, um, you know, to your clients so they can at least get it, download it, look at it, do something yeah. with it. And if they didn't, if they wanted to buy it, they'd buy it. And if they didn't, they didn't. Right. And then the consultants, you know, got into the act on that thing. It got the attention of, you know, it was DeGaulle, McNaughton, Ryder Scott and, you know, NSAI and all those got their attention and then they bought into it and Whoa. it just kind of took off. Wow. That must've been pretty exciting to be a part of. I remember the day when <laughs> one of the VPs from Ryder Scott called said, yeah, we, we, we think we want to go with y'all system. We, we really like it. And I went, okay, all right, well, let's put it together. And then I pulled, and I was driving somewhere. I pulled out the car and got out of the side of the road and danced. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think everybody thought I was like, okay, we need to take this guy to the <laughs> for some help somewhere. But yeah, I got out of the car and I was just doing the yeah, right. like that. And uh -huh. that, that was yeah. And then and kind of the similar thing when the De, Gallier did it as well. So and then it then it took off. Jeez. So it was more a matter of here's a disc trade your data with whoever they can download it yep. and if they like it then here and they said okay here's the 100 grand for the year send us a check for this we'll send license. you a code wow and that was it jeez man you had that set up nice so it was convenient right for that thing right yes i mean to yeah 
I can't even imagine being in, in the room and, and seeing all that unfold and people that have really no idea exactly what you're talking about. And, and by the end of the meeting, they're like, totally get it. It's, it's convenient. I, I, it's usable and just deals getting done. Boom, it's it's boom. no effort. Right. And then you're kind of also banking on the fact that people would do a little work in it. Right. And they go, I like this. Oh man, if I go import this or export this somewhere else and put it on another system, then that's more work for me. Oh, you know what? I think I'll just send them a check and just keep working. So it was kind of banking on that philosophy, which I think in hindsight was a pretty good philosophy. Sure. And I think a lot of, you know, that's kind of common to the way most things are done now, right? Because maybe, you know, not all companies, but, you know, there's always a, a like a demo copy you can get. Right. And then whether or not you get all the features or not is up to that particular company. Yeah. But then the idea is you do some work in it and then you pay to keep going. Right. Yeah, so I think see. that's the way most things are sold now. So your demo was fully unlocked. It was everything. Yeah, we unlocked do. everything. Yep. If they if they used it, they liked it, good. If they just didn't ever get around to it, couldn't get they fine, just move yeah, on. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, Call us next year or whenever you're ready. At this point in the software, is it essentially doing everything we've already talked about? It's decline curve analysis tied to economics. Are you talking, which, which system are we talking about now? The one you're selling right now. The one you're I'm not selling one right now. No, I'm sorry. The one you're licensing in the story right now. In the, in oh, the oh, at that point in the time? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it was, it had, I mean, things that we added over time uh, was the international, the, the, the PSA calculations and all that kind of stuff. Huh. We added those a little bit later. That was in the late 2007, 2008, something so like that. So this is like a 10 year run. Oh yeah. Yeah. So let's see if I can remember. So PhD for DOS ruled until about maybe 96 or 97. Right. And that was just, and there weren't very many copies out, but there was enough to, yeah. Enough to pay my salary, right? Yeah. And then PhD Win, uh, which oh man, that was that was when Windows was ninety eight. It's, it's it was pre ninety eight. It was Windows ninety five, right? Which um, was challenging. And then Windows ninety eight kind of became yeah okay this is a standard, um, you know that we like to run on, and that was really what's that version was really written for Windows 98, you know? Wow. And so that became kind of the standard. So how much did you have to un unpack your understanding of, of Windows to make that product? Like, did you go all in? Did you like sit down with Mr. Windows himself? What's well, that guy's name? Uh, <laughs> Who, like, like, like Bill Gates or somebody? There you no. go, yeah. <laughs> Just blanked on his name. Yeah, you never no, got to sit so down with Bill? No, so it was more... No, it was a lot of trial and error to see what would work. Um, we had some reporting systems and stuff that were very finicky on what version of Windows. Um, and so as we grew, we hired guys that were really good at getting into the nitty gritty of some oh, of those no, things right. and how they ran. Yeah. Um, you know, Windows doesn't update and all of a sudden your software doesn't work. That was a big problem in the early days. Whoa. That's yeah. a big problem now, let's be honest. I think it was bigger then because... <laughs> Well, I mean, so so Windows today truly is a multiprocessor, multitasking system. Okay. Right? It wasn't back then. It was really just a, you know, they had the user interface, but they didn't really have the multitasking that was very smooth. 
And, okay. and so it was, yeah, it was, it was tough. And we used, um, different third party packages and things like that, which each had their own idiosyncrasies and stuff like that mm -hmm. as well. Whoa. Yeah. So windows would get an update. You guys would be all hands on deck. All right. What was the update? What'd they do? Why'd they do that? <laughs> Did you ever have to contact windows and say, Hey, you, you guys really dropped the ball on this one. <laughs> Can we get you to Oh, I wanted to, but we're too small, right? We're little fish, right? They're not going to listen to us. Windows is just progressing and moving and doing all kinds of cool stuff. And, you know, we, wow. you know, like, like all other software companies, small software companies are, are all we could do was hang on for the ride and react as best we could, which we did. So what's your take on when you hear the word or the phrase, the dot-com boom or the dot-com era? What do you think about well, I don't know. I, I, I think about, I guess this is a little unrelated, but I think of Y2K. Yeah. Oh, I lived it, man. <laughs> I lived it. I'm like, let it go. I don't let know it. what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, it was like, it was the end of everything, right? And I'm sitting here going, no, it's not. If you based your software on a C date, right, which goes back to 1700, you don't care. <laughs> doesn't matter it's not going to disturb anything right and so we had always had our all of our date system and everything was back to you know 1701 or something like that so number of days since 1700 which is a c date um the hell so who who the heck was running off of a non-1701 or 1700 day? lots of lots of software was what were they running on what do you mean um, I don't know. That's the only way I ever did it, but you can choose any orientation for your date. Right. And so I don't know. Um, I think it was a lot of, I think there was a like a lot of accounting systems and things like that. Wow. That didn't necessarily run that way. Um, and a lot of panic over it. in the end, nothing really happened, <laughs> right? Because most programs did, you know, did use a, an anchor for dates that were back in 1700s really yeah. didn't matter. You know, Crazy. Y2K meant nothing. <laughs> Crazy. But, you know, there are some, I think there were some that, you know, storing um, like text dates, a text representation of a date like that, and they would abbreviate the years and they would do things like that and they would do it in text, not a real, you know, date time object or anything like that. And they would do more off a of text like what you would type. Okay. Um, you know, in a spreadsheet or something like yeah. that, that wasn't even converted to a date format. So it was like, that's who it bit. Wow. Isn't you know? that funny? Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, internet is born like in the nineties or whatever, officially like now. I, I will never get the sound of a modem hooking oh, up out of my head. Because going into work in the mornings, you know, especially when I worked for that acquisition company, that was the first, you know, coffee and you know that was how you started every morning you were turning into a robot right there yeah. <laughs> you didn't even know it and it's crazy that the internet you know build this thing out and they're like all right it's 95 and and no one was like what's gonna happen when it's 2000 like, <laughs> like and i didn't happen? worry that much about it because i was like well, we're all on sea dates so what is it gonna matter to us yeah you know we may have to alter a couple of import formats or something like that but it never you know I think it was like the periphery systems and stuff like yeah. that may have had some issues, but nothing. I mean, I think all we had to do is alter a couple of import from 
wow. some things in there. It just so didn't really. Was this like kind of a classic, like media just kind of blowing it up, making making the year fun to talk about? Probably. <laughs> I guess, you know. I don't know. There were a lot of people that were really worried about it. And I yeah. know a lot of banks and stuff like that were really oh. worried about it. I remember you know? it being a big thing. I'm just like, I don't know what the hell they're even talking about. Yeah, and I'm like, nah, I mean, it really shouldn't. If you did your dates, you know, I guess it depends on how you built your date reference yeah. structure. So, so PhD DOS and then PhD win by 98? By yeah. 98. Yeah, sounds right. Get through 2000, get into 2007 to 2010-ish. PhD win is a thriving, well-known software in the industry. Mm-hmm. And can I officially say that you are part of the creator of PhD Win? Yes. That's amazing. I wrote, so I wrote um, the initial code for that. Um, and then we started hiring, I guess we hired our first developers. 99 to 2000, 2001 is when we started. We started getting big enough to hire full-time programmers and stuff like that. So I had you, written everything to that point. Wow. And so you were obviously the head of, uh, of hiring in that situation, right? Like who are we bringing on? Yeah. I mean, we were, it was just a couple of, we were just a couple of guys, right? Yeah. Selling massive amounts of licenses and having. Yeah. So it was just like, it was more like, you know, I'd go to user meetings or, you know, like there were tech groups and stuff, you know. I was like, oh man, that guy's really smart. And, like, <laughs> and I'd hear him grumble about where he was working. It's like, well, how about this? <laughs> you know, if it was somebody, and, and that's how we kind of built that initial development staff was just more, it was guys here in San Antonio that I had, I had met or um, guys that were good friends that I knew. Like there were some, there was uh, some connections with the, uh, the Navy contracting thing. And some of the guys I met there that were really, really tech savvy. Yeah. And, you know, every once in a while I'd call one of those guys yeah. and say, hey, do you know anybody? And they would recommend somebody. Right on. And then it would come that way. That's right. That's the network, man. That's the That's network, network blooming. Yeah. <sighs> so many places I want to go. Uh, but let's get into the drill down segment. Now that okay. we have established into the 2000s, you have a very interesting uh career you have a product that is very usable and it's helping to get probably eventually billions of dollars of business transacted based on your code based on phd win mm -hmm. what are you doing now so now i do i freelance and i do independent oh, right consulting on. Right. Uh, you still got the drumstick in your hand. I still got it's still trying to troll the sticks, right? But um yeah, so I sold my shares in TRC in twenty thirteen. What does that mean? So that means I the partners paid me money and I gave them my shares and said, Here, you guys take it and run with it. Right on. You know, and I was ready for I was ready for something different. What was the what was if it, if I call it an issue, I guess I I'm I don't know what it was, but I'm going to call it an issue. What was it in 2013 where you were like, you know what? I just don't want this anymore. So what I like to do was program. <laughs> I like to build stuff. Yeah. And I mean, PhD win was pretty mature, you know, and it's like, what new things do you conquer at that point? And I mean, honestly, I was getting bored. Wow. I was getting bored and I was getting, and I don't, I don't like to manage. Okay. Right. So you were kind of tied in as this manager, creator. And, and not getting to do very much programming. Wow. And what I really like to do. So 
back in the early days. So, <laughs> you know, there was the freedom to, so we had a, I got paid with a boat one time for a project I did, um, consulting project years and years ago. And so a lot of the code, I would go out and on, it was a big sailboat. And so I would go out in Canyon Lake by myself and get the boat out somewhere, you know, anchor or tie off or something like that. And I would code out there. And I, I liked that kind of freedom. Yeah. Hell yeah. Who wouldn't? And it, I, I kind of, you know, I mean, it was starting to get under my skin. I just wasn't happy wow. with it. And I'm like, so what are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing the next day? Which direction are we going and all that? Wow. And I just kind of, I got, you know, it was, it was eating at me. I was like ready to move on and do right. something new, yeah. try some new technologies, something, yeah. you know, something I needed, I needed to change. Wow. I had been doing it. I mean, who sticks with a job for 20 years? So that was, you know, that was what, 50, how many years that was? 94 to officially 94 to 2013. So it's two decades. Almost 20 years. Right? 19 years. Yeah. What the heck? Started yeah. feeling like you had a ceiling. Started feeling like you had walls all of yeah. a sudden around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and wanted to do something new. Right? Wow. So it's time to leave. So, you know, sold my shares and, uh, and uh, went off in a new direction. And I went back more to consulting. Okay. Right? Because it had gotten more and more software and more software and more software and more software, which I enjoyed. Yeah. But then I was not really doing a lot of the stuff that I really enjoyed. Right? And yeah, it kind of felt like we had maxed out. Yeah. Right? And then so I went back. And then I went back to pure consulting, which was, I mean, I helped a company set up a reserve department. I did, um, you know, a lot of acquisition and stuff like that, uh, for companies and things like that. I went back to more of that stuff. Roots. Yeah. I went back to that, which was a lot of fun. I like, I can't imagine. I like not doing the same thing week in, week out. Yeah. And so I guess I get bored too easy, but I mean, that's just, you know, I need to, I need, I need some variety. I need to do something different. Yeah. And At this point, do you have kids? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They were all in high school. Oh, wow. By the time you were ready to dump your shares and, and try yep. something new, your kids are in high school. Yep. How cool is that? So yeah, I never to... really let money get in the way and stability get in the way of doing no. what I wanted to do. But I can imagine your kids were probably seeing the dad that was kind of like surrounded by walls. You know, they didn't know what that was, but they were probably seeing something like, oh man, is he happy or what's going on? Yeah, they were looking at me going, you're not happy. You need to change. Wow. You need, to, you need a new challenge and do that. Wow. And they were big into soccer. And I really love the soccer. Oh, I love soccer, <laughs> And, and man. so I, was, I started, I was coaching, um, you know, some competitive teams and stuff like that and lots of family stuff. And it right just on. kind of like, like, okay, that's my heart's, my heart's over there. Yeah. My heart's over there. And then bang, they saw you make that decision and, and turn into this new chapter. It mm-hmm. must have been incredibly inspirational for your children. How many kids do you have? Three. Is that right? Yeah. Girls, yeah. boys? Two girls, one boy. That's what I got. All right. <laughs> yeah, I got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a two-month-old. Or All right. All right. I'll, I'll brag on. So my um, my oldest daughter just had her second child. Grandpa. So I'm on my second grandpa. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and my middle daughter um, just finished her PhD up Ooh. at AM. Oh, she's an Aggie. She's an Aggie. She's my only Aggie. Right? What did your dad and mom say about that? Well, my... my <laughs> 
my mother has long since passed away, okay. you know, and, and dad, my dad and I have the greatest relationship and always have. Yeah. And it's been, I'm going to give you a hard time about being an Aggie. Right. But I expect you to give me one right back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's always been that kind of thing. So he's very, very proud of, proud of her. And yeah. so my oldest daughter went to Texas Tech. Okay. And so she got her degree from Texas Tech. She's a Red Raider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my son went to AM for a while. And then he was a junior, I guess. And then yeah. he, he kind of pops up and says, I'm going to go study wine. And I went, Whoa. What does that mean? Yeah. And so he went to California and started squashing berries. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We tease him about having grape stains <laughs> on his feet. That's not what he does. Although he sent me a picture of that one day. <laughs> so, and he's got, he's living his dream with this dream job with some winery in California. And I know nothing about wines other than you I like can tell them? you if it's something I like or something I don't like. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. And I also know I'm not the guy to go buy in three or five hundred dollar bottles of wine because yeah. I don't know it well enough to you know appreciate like, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My palate doesn't work that way. <laughs> my palate can tell the difference between a five dollar bottle of wine and a fifteen dollar <laughs> bottle of wine. And yeah. after that I'm kinda out of my element. But my son could my son could tell you all about it. Man. All right. If we do another live event, which we will do one, uh, we'll have a wine tasting contest. We'll have like <laughs> Boone's Farm. <laughs> you gotta put out the MD twenty twenty. Yes. Going back to high school. Oh, no. And then oh, we're no. going to get your son's wines, and we're going to have everyone vote. Oh, <laughs> no. This is the best. Oh, no. Okay. All right. All right. I bet he'd be up for that. Oh, I bet he'd fly awesome. into town. Now, let me set you all up. <laughs> That'd be freaking awesome. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> he would enjoy that. He does that when he comes home, <laughs> and he sets up, and he'll set up. My wife and I, and he'll pour something, and he'll pour this one. I go, oh, I no, tell me what you think on this. What do you taste? And I'm like, well, it's great. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, what part of it mouth, your mouth does it affect? What does it do? Whoa. All this other kind of stuff. Yeah. And then he'll get into, so tell me what kind of barrel that came from. And I'm like, closed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Man. And then he'll teach and he enjoys doing that. So yeah. we have a good time with that. Yeah. Right on. What a, I mean, the courage to stop, you know, and, and uh, whatever that path was and, and the kind of what everyone else was doing and saying, no, I just want to go, I want to go learn the wine industry. Like, uh, anyway, that's yeah. Super interesting. Right on. Your kids were all different, very different or very similar, very different. Very, very different. They learn different. They like different things. Absolutely. Wow. My, my two younger ones are very much into soccer. Okay. Okay. My oldest one was not, you know, she's more, I don't know, more of a girly girl, you know, yeah. kind of thing like that. Yeah. And, um, more social stuff and all that. Right on. And, um, and family, she's, uh, she's just the greatest mom, greatest little mom you've ever seen. The oldest is, are always like that. I she's feel like in, she is so into, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. So she's really, she's a really good little mom. It's awesome. And uh, my second daughter gave me a lot of heartburn, <laughs> but she's just done really, really well. Um, and she's she graduated from Michigan, and she went up to Michigan on a mechanical engineering. Whoa. Scholarship. Right on. And then she called one night and said, Daddy, I hate math. I'm not going <laughs> to do anymore. I want to write books. And my heart stopped for a while. And then wow. I'm crying. Um, 
And so that's what she did. And then Whoa. so she changed everything. She finished, she finished her degree early, changed to literature, finished her degree early. So this is another one that's like, I'm going to change directions and go. Yeah. Right. And so she, um, you know, she finished her degree early. Then she went and she, she actually had been on an exchange program over at some of the universities at Oxford. And then she ended up doing her undergraduate at Bristol um, oh. in literature. Okay. And then she cool. um, found some professors at A&M that were, I mean, really, really experts in the field of, of those things. Uh, so I, I tease her and say, so you're studying King Arthur and you're, you're getting paid how much for that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad somebody's doing it. And then, you know, and then, and, and so she does, she does marketing and stuff now and she's doing really, really well. Dang. So I need her help, I need to help me market uh, PBE. <laughs> <Because you laughs> well, I told that. her, so she's going to be listening. She's all in on this podcast. Right on. And so, so she's going to critique me Yes. and Thank say you. all this. And so she is, and she's the one that's pushing so if you ever decide all those, those models and stuff that you're building now, I said, what are you going to do with those? And I said, I don't know. Yeah. Right? And so she said, let me help you with that whenever you get to the point of, okay. Ready to market it. Ready to do something with that. Right on. And so, so let's get into that. You're doing machine learning. You're doing data analytics. You obviously know economics through PhD, win career, and all that. So what is it? What what are these ideas? What are these systems that you're making or these these the, you know what are you focusing on? Well, okay, so let me tell you where it kind of got started or the interest in that. Um my wife's got a, her masters in statistics, right? And right. so from AM. And then so um back in 2010, so I participated with a bunch of very very smart guys, guys that were much way above my pay grade and did a, uh, um, uh, for SPEE, did monograph three, which was an attempt on how do you classify um, shell plays? How do you evaluate them? How do you, how do you determine proved reserves and all those kinds of Jeez, things? What a and challenge. so there were some really, really smart methods that came out of that and everything was being done in Excel and stuff like that. <laughs> so that was kind of the genesis on really got me thinking and you know i just i want to shout out to those guys for just letting me be part of those meetings right on because they were really really you know and and there were some you know some big companies that participated in those studies too and we put that uh we put that monograph out and then uh it became accepted um methodologies for determining proved reserves for publicly for traded companies in the oil field so it was kind of like the genesis of how do you use statistics as a reliable science for oil and gas, which, you know, before that had been 100% physics based. Right. Right. And so physics is still extremely important. Sure. Of course. Right. But now there's an element of repeatability and looking at anomalies and looking at trends and looking at things like that, Jeez. that is really, I'd say today, um, if, if you're not up on that, then, then you need you're to, there's some to things play, you need to study. Yeah. If you're trying to play in the shale game and you're yes. not up on that yes. stuff. Yes. You need to get up on that stuff. Because the shale game is an anomaly in itself. The shale was not supposed to be a reservoir for many, many, many years. It well, was not until fracking, right? Not until horizontal drilling and, and this massive amount of uh, energy that we were able to put into these stages. 
and a massive amount of fluid that we were able to add to this rock that's at depth and at temperature and wanting to react chemically. Well, it's all about opening up the surface area of the reservoir to a place that you can apply a drainage drawdown, right? Right. Or pressure drawdown. And so the, just the anomaly, that the pure anomaly in itself as a whole, and then attacking it with statistics and attacking it with, you know, are were you even in the right zones? Like all these things and what kind of frack did you put away? The evolution of fracking and all the different ways and styles. It was pretty fun. <laughs> oh, man. It was pretty cool. I'm so glad there's people like you. That sounds like a disaster. That sounds like looking up at space for the first time being like, what am I looking at? What like looking at just chaos or a static screen, just white noise, chaos. That's what I feel like that would be. There'd be so yeah. much things going on. There's so many things and there's so many things you can look at, right? And there's so many factors because what it really did was it, it was kind of the recognition that, okay, we used to do volumetric based stuff, right? Which means we had a limited number of variables that we really looked at, right? Now take that and multiply that by a hundred yeah. or 200. And how do you even, how do you even grasp it? Right. And so in the early days there was, let's try and get a handle on this with Excel and let's look at performance and look at things like that. And like I said, there were some really smart guys on that committee. Um, and then, um, you know, and I just tried to soak up as much as I could, but I got really, really interested in it. Yeah. And so then my mind is kind of going that way, you know, even as far back as 2010, I was yeah. like, okay, I got to get into this. I got to wow. get into this. And, um, you know, and so, you know, and I was transitioning that way, whether I knew it or not, because I just found it fascinating because it yeah. was new. It yeah. was a new, totally new thing to learn. And so, um, how do you, yeah. how do you think about, uh, just general terminology here? You got machine learning, statistics, data analytics, you know, each of those can stand on its own. You can describe them, but how do they relate? How do they relate? Well, they're all absolutely related because the machine learning is going to use statistical methods, you know, to find trends, find anomalies, different okay. things like that, right? So, so and so there is there is I'd say the machine learning is the practical application of it. Okay. Right? And then there's the theoretical which is okay, which models should I be which models are valid to apply and how do I even know which models yeah should be applied in what circumstances? Right. Right? And so, I had gotten more and more into it and more and more into it. And now I'm going to give a shout out to a company that's here in San Antonio. So I, I quit everything in 2019. Well, I've, I've been doing expert witness and things like that, right? Okay. Um, and doing some reserves for companies and things like that. But I, I quit everything and I went to a, um, a boot camp here in San Antonio. And it was, how do you do it? How do you practically do this and make it work? Right, and that's a company called Codeups. So I'm going to give a shout out to those guys because that was fantastic. Codeups, uh, Codeup, C O D E U P. Codeups, right? And they've got a, um, they've got a, uh, their school is a couple of blocks away from. Is here. that right? Yeah, oh, they're coming to the happy hour. They, we got to bring them to our happy hour. Absolutely, absolutely. Those guys are fantastic. And went into that, and that was where. Okay, so when you start to realize how many variables you really have. Mm -hmm. in today's reservoir, especially if you're doing shell place, right? which is mainly what I do, but not all. 
but you realize how many variables you, you it's it's gotten impossible to do it really the way we used to do it. Wow. Right with Excel, right? And things like that. So Coda was a it was 40 hours a week. It was I think and we were the inaugural class. So I was part of that. Jeez. So I was basically went, you know, back to school kind yeah. of. Yeah. But I mean, not a full blown degree, but you know, a six month program. And I think at that time it was five months. And then after that first class, they said, we're going to make it a little bit longer. Um, but it was 40 hours a week. And then you had your assignments and everything else. So it was pretty intense. Yeah. And what they're doing, what they focused on is, okay, from a practical point of view, how would you really run machine learning algorithms? How do you apply it to the data? How do you do kind of back to your question of there's data analytics Okay, then there's some machine learning and there's how do you apply it. And it was kind of that. So there's a big thing on, well, just what in the heck do you do when you have that many variables? How do you clean it up? Right? How do you get the data in a, in a and how do you do it quickly? Yeah. All right? Because I think a lot of the big mistakes were people would assign or companies would assign departments doing nothing but cleaning data. Yeah. Right. And doing all of this prep work on the data. And stuff like that. So there's a lot of techniques that, you know, that that program taught me on how do you clean up data quickly? How do you get to it? How do you tell what's really important, what's not? Right. And then how do you do something with it? And what kind of models can you use? And how do you figure out how to do it? So it was, I loved it. It was intense. Wow. Didn't and, matter what your application was. It was it, like there were people from all over the place. It was all oil and gas focused. Oh, I think I was the only petroleum engineer. Right on. How so, many how many people were in this class? So there was like uh, probably thirty. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, maybe. We had a little bit of attrition in the first class. Um, yeah, so, they were just like, all right, too much. You know, too yeah, intense. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It was it was intense, and it's it's. I mean, the the, the upside of it is you're going to learn how to do it. Right. Right. The downside is you're going to learn how to do it, and it, there's <laughs> just sweat involved. With doing it, that's right. right, and and it's 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 a big step. So I guess the the general makeup of the class was, um, I think almost everyone had at least an undergraduate degree, but a lot of people were, you know, I, I'm not real happy with my career. I want to go a different direction. Yeah, I'm really into this technology and what, and so yeah. it's was you know made made up of, um, you know, some level of education, and everybody is just highly curious yeah. about how does this stuff work Freaking and how do you awesome. do it, which, well, and that was me too. It's like, this is like, this is so cool. It's just a feeding frenzy in there. Yeah. yeah. And how, how credible were the uh, instructors or who these people were? Like, well, I went and did interviews. So this is what I did. <laughs> so I had been trying to figure this out on my own and there's tons of boot camps online and everything else like that. And so I built my own, what I thought would be a curriculum. On if I want to get to the point where I can take models, I can apply them correctly, yeah. and I can do it in a uh, expedient amount of time, what do I need to learn? And so I listed all that stuff out and did it very, I had my own sheet. And yeah. so I'd been calling around looking, and then somebody said, hey, you know, why don't you check out these guys? So I came downtown, and I sat with a couple of guys and said, okay, look, here's what I want to learn. And then one of the guys said, oh, well, here's our curriculum. And I'm like, okay, I'm in, <laughs> you know, because it was that. And then the instructors were fantastic. Right on. So it was, it was, um, 
at that time, I mean, they're, they're, they've got a really good reputation, you know, and, but it had been mostly web development. That was the first ever dev, you know, uh, data science thing like that. And okay. so there was, you know, kind of a gut feeling, you know, it's like, okay, so what do you know? And their instructors were fantastic. Right and on. if I would have, you know, and it was one of those things where it's kind of trust your gut. Yeah. And I think they're, I mean, they're really establishing themselves now. But I mean, it, we were the first ones. How so, cool is that? They must have got a kick out of you. I love. Oh yeah. Here's this petroleum. old guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the whole subject of petroleum and you know oil and gas. Like what unconventional, conventional? What the hell? You know all this. You know what kind of data are you looking at? What is? I mean, wow. So there's there's basically a general philosophy that you can have that you can approach any problem data analytics statistics and machine learning wise there's kind of a philo general philosophy to attack whatever it is doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it's oil or gas okay agreed yeah i started so i took that and i and i really wanted to learn it so i, I took six months off right um i think i i did one project i got everything down to one project um and did that during that six month period but i got everything else out of the way and did that and then i was so gripped i was just into it you know yeah. so i mean you know I, I mean i've had a long career yeah and and so i guess and you kind of get the impression here I, i'm looking for something that makes me want to get out of bed right in the morning right you found it and this was it and i was yeah. like this is so cool so the first thing i did was you know what i'm gonna go back and see if i can't solve build my own analytics platform of course i had a you know pretty good programming background right and, uh, but this was the first time I'd ever used Python. And so I want to see if I can build my own analytics program or platform is really a better way to say it. That is data agnostic. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I can add my utilities to it. And one, would it solve every problem that was presented in the coursework, right? It's kind of where I start. Interesting. Right? To see what it would do. And it was yeah. curiosity because I'd learned all this cool stuff in class. And now I wanted to apply it. Yeah. And um, so I did that. And then I was like, oh, shoot. You know what? I, now I have a platform that'll work on anybody's database in oil and gas. Because everybody has different stuff that they track. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then I'm like, oh, <laughs> So it doesn't matter if I'm tracking quartz content, organics, if I'm tracking this and this and this and merging it with performance data and all the completion data I can get my hands on and every other metric that a company might have, yeah. it all, this platform will eat it all up. Interesting. And so I, and because of the programming background, I kind of knew how to build a system and how, how do you build something so it's kind of like a lot of routines and stuff that were meant to do specific things that I needed for an evaluation or something like that, but a common method of arranging data, even though the data wasn't the same. It was common systems for doing that. So then I could layer and layer and layer mm. and layer. Mm. And so that's what I'm doing now. Is that essentially what data analytics is? is? is this layering of all these different kind of nodes of information and, and relating them to each other? Or is that more of machine learning doing that? So I even think of data analytics as a little bit. So, okay, let me break it down this way. So you have, 
I guess a typical organization, and I may have to wind around a little bit on this topic to get no worries to answer that question. Yeah. Um, but um, so there's data engineering, which is how do you make a whole big mass of data into something that you can read and get something out of. Then there is the exploratory part of it, which was something you uh, left out, which is huge. So the exploratory part of it is that's a lot of what I call data analytics. Ah, okay. okay. So that means if, if you throw me a data set, yeah. how do I look at it? What makes things pop out? What visualizations pop out that tell me, oh, here's an answer I'm trying to find. Yeah. Okay. How would I find out what are the most significant contributors to that answer? Yeah. Okay. Um, what types of distribution does it have? How would I identify outliers, pieces of data that don't really fit with the norm of what I'm building here in a model? And how do I visualize that? And how do I do it quickly? So that's exploratory data analysis, right? Okay. Which I think is a lot of data analytics um, or in a broad term of data analytics, right? And so, and that will, you know, that you use machine learning models in that exploratory data ah. analysis. Okay. So then you get more into, okay, so now I'm going to build models to predict whatever it is I want to predict. Is it BOE per foot? Is it whatever? Is it what depth I should try and lay this yeah. lateral at? Is it whatever, you know? Wow. Um, and then, and then that's more machine learning and things like that can tell you those types of things. So data analytics, I guess, could encompass all of that, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting definitely a better uh, visual of of the whole concepts of these things. You know, they're definitely the most advanced guess that I have I've had for sure on uh, on the whole subject. Uh, so I'm learning a lot. I'm getting a lot of visuals in my mind of how that all relates. Statistical models that start outlining the outliers, why it does that. You know, that statistic models. Yeah. So for example. I have one dashboard. And so then I, I discovered a couple of other things. Well, um, and, you know, I mean, this is kind of, this is self-discovery. There are smarter people that know how to do this. This was like new to me. Like, what? You can yeah. do that? Thing? <laughs> right. So, um, so then it was, okay. So I started building these dashboards. I found another product that would really make a web app really quickly. That's an analytical app that, works and then I could build these really complicated packages so I can build my own python packages and I can mix and match and then I can come back with a dashboard pretty yeah. quickly relatively yeah. you know that is whatever so I have one dashboard and this is a little bit of the workflow and this was so I can take uh, a company's database or I can take Excel files or I can make up columns or whatever because it is data agnostic, right? And then it uses a, a it, it uses XG boost, which is a uh, boosted gradient descent model, which is a machine learning model okay. that ranks the factors that like I'll, I'll scroll through and I'll say, okay, tell me about this variable. And then it gives me a ranking on, well, what's important with that, mm -hmm. right? And so I'll pull in, 
you know, like a region of Delaware Basin or something like that. And I'll be looking for something, right? And it says, okay, this is what's important with respect to whatever you're looking at. Yeah. Right. And it uses a gradient descent model to do that. And then, then it pops to the next screen and it shows me, okay. And it has this type of distribution. Well, so then that gives me an idea of, okay, so how do I define my outliers? Okay. Okay. And then it pops to the next screen, which then runs an anomaly detection. Right. So then shows me all the wells and it, it blobs things together. based on those significant factors. And I can then click on this well or a point and go, oh, well, that's this well. And it's different because of X. And so that plays directly into shale analysis and stuff like that because a lot of what you're doing is building uh, type curves or SPE is going to start calling them type well profiles. Okay. It's kind of the basis of building cash flows for you know, things. Okay. And, um, it really helps you. It helps me decide, okay, what really is an analogous set? What really matters? How far out in a radius do I need to go to have enough wells to have confidence in what I'm doing? Right. And, and what are those outliers and why is that well an outlier? Well, is that just because it's, well, maybe the completion method was done and maybe there's some low hanging fruit there that, you know, maybe that's a good candidate to go buy or go do something with, or maybe it can re if you can, or maybe it's a, maybe if we change this on that, well, yeah. it comes into this group and now our performance totally changes. And so that there's a dashboard that does that. Jeez. And so that was fun. And that was using a lot of the methods that came that, that could have showed me how to do. How many horizontal wells have you evaluated in this current dashboard? I have no idea. I mean, I've done all of Delaware Basin. I've done all of Permian Basin. That's like 30,000 plus right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sheesh. Eagleford, most of Eagleford. Sheesh. Eagleford's a lot simpler because you don't have as many zones and stuff like that. Um, (laughs) You don't have all the benches. You have just a few. But um, so it's easier. But um, I mean, I've got, I mean, it's, and I've got, a few dashboards, but that one is designed to let's look at a big picture and then let's narrow it down to maybe a specific area. Yeah. And and then profile that. So it, it'll run. I mean, it's made to pull in, you know, 15,000 wells at a time and look at it and throw things up. And then you say, okay, I'm looking for some information on this particular variable. Now tell me about it. Eesh. And so it does that. And it's, it's, so what's really cool is learning that stuff. And again, shout out to Coda was that's possible on a PC. I don't have to get into big data. Yeah. Okay. If you know the difference between data and big data, big data just means I can't fit it on my PC. Really? It's bigger. <laughs> right. But now, now there's products like Databricks and things like that was let you easily do that. But, um, yeah, it's meant to run a whole bunch of stuff all at once and do it very quickly. So that's, um, it's meant to bite off big chunks of data and then let you distill down to, or you can make it, you know, geographically centric and say, this is the exact acreage I'm interested in. Yeah. Let me go in a radius around here 
pull data within two miles or three miles or whatever, and then now tell me of that, you know, what wells can you, what wells are really representative of the answer you're trying to find? And, and mind you, I mean, engineers have been doing this in their heads, yes, right? Right. But when you start really looking at a lot of stuff, that's hard to do. <laughs> so you're talking about doing multivariate predictions. Yeah. When you have 200 data columns and sorting through that, what I believe is, you know, as an engineer, you know, as a, no, let me back up. As a human, as a human, you have predisposition to some things. Yeah. Well, these are methods that say, well, maybe your predisposition is not quite accurate in this case. That's and awesome. then find out why. Yeah. Yep. Because it's just it <clears throat> it's just as important to find out what it's not as 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 what it is, right? Right. You know, so Right. You don't want to be basing your models on something that's a either has no bearing on what you're doing. Yeah. Or is not representative of what you're you know, you you don't want to build you don't want to build your curves. You don't want to do your analysis based on uh, something that's not meaningful. And so doing, having a quick way to do that, I think is pretty important. Yeah. And I, I'm going to say as opposed to, all right, give me 3,000 wells and show them all on a screen. Yeah. And show me where I am in relationship to all those wells. Well, okay, that has a place. But I, I, want, to see, I want to see those wells and I want to paint that picture that is relative and analogous to what I'm looking at. With more than 35 years of experience in the industry, Impact Exploration Services has you covered for all your mud logging, geosteering, and geoscience service needs. Impact Exploration Services covers every basin in the lower 48 and can customize the services to your needs. Impact Exploration Services sets the professional standard, and the next time you have problems to solve and questions to answer, think Impact Exploration Services. This episode is brought to you by Trunkline. You probably know Trunkline as the company that makes the legendary oilfield horizontal drilling socks. And it's true. Our drill baby drill socks featuring a heel-to-toe wellbore are 100% American-made and are designed right in the heart of the oil and gas industry. But did you know that Trunkline is also a revolutionary digital marketing tool that can transform the way you advertise your oil field services? You can showcase your company's project track record on Trunkline and our automated platform will boost your exposure through social media, email marketing, SEO, and more. Now, whenever one of your new customers asks you, can you show me an example of your work? You can simply turn them to your Trunkline portfolio. It's more effective than a brochure, it's less expensive than sponsoring a whole other golf course, and easier than maintaining your website. Join more than 200 service companies on Trunkline by signing up at register.trunkline.com today. Let's go. Thank you for uh, getting to the completion part of the PBE podcast now. And we've really been talking a lot about the, the completion, really, which is what you're doing now, what you're focusing on. And uh, I just want to go dive in a little bit deeper on a couple of things. Um, the first one, you know, I, I use TGS to help with kind of gathering data in fields I don't, I'm not aware of, you know, mm -hmm. and start understanding what's really going on here. And, um, 
I'm, I'm going after some wells in the Permian Basin on the Central Basin platform. Okay. And the the TGS database will put out a what they call the Quick Look Economics Report. Okay. Uh, have a look at that. And okay. I'm try, what I'm trying to understand is uh, what is it saying? <laughs> what is it saying? <laughs> yeah. It's an economic report about how much money is left in this reservoir, in these wells. Yep. So I haven't seen this before, but this is your... So let's see where year one is. Where's the as of date? So this is a prediction. I'm looking for the starting year. This is the actual production curve uh, on all the wells that, that that's, you know, what it's relating to. Okay. Okay, so that's a type curve. And so they're running economics on that, right? And so... The only thing I'm missing is it goes through year one through nine. So this is a prediction on your on your money, right? So if you took a typical well, yep. so this is a type curve, right? And then what they're doing is giving you a sample cash flow. Okay. And they're just basing they're basing that on uh, some... Well, I don't know what all they're basing it on, but it looks to me like they've grouped a bunch of wells here. So they've got a time graph, start date, end date, decline curve inputs. What's, the, what's the B factor? What's that mean? Well, that's ARPS hyperbolic, right? Okay. Um, okay. So, how the how the curve looks? Yeah, how, how, how it bends, how, it how it much bends. it bends, right? So exponential essentially means your B factor is very close to zero. And okay. so B factor is what is the... Um, Okay, so a little bit of decline curve stuff, right? Yeah. Okay, so in, uh, you know, shell place, um, you have early time region, middle time region, boundary dominated flow. You have different flow regimes. And ARPS, of course, is a empiric empirical uh, formula that was developed back in the 40s. Wow. Okay, that is what is kind of the basis that we predict oil and gas production on. Okay, it's kind of the, it's just what everybody uses. So ARPS is central to that. There's a few modifications on it, um, uh, like a modified ARPS. Um, and then there's stretched exponential and a few other things like that. But those are how we predict oil and gas, right? Okay. So you predict your primary phase. So if it's an oil well... You're going to put it on an ARPS. Well, one of the central variables in ARPS is B factor. So that is the amount of bend. So as you mentioned, right, so most of your production is in, depending on where you are, the first eight months or first 18 yeah. months or something like that. So it's that rate of, you can think of it as that rate of bend, okay, okay as it starts to flatten out. Wow. Kind of like the bend of a horizontal well going from vertical to horizontal. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. How sharp yeah, you're right, making when you, it. When, right, so, how fast okay. you're going to make that turn. Yep. So when you're looking at this, so I'd like to know how many wells, some things I would ask, and I'm sure this is in here somewhere. Yeah. Right. Um, how many wells is this? Right. You know, kind of thing. How do they die off? But you can tell this one has a, you know, I'm not looking at the variables, but this one's got a B factor. So you have a, uh, so this one is really starting to flatten out. Uh, in the first, I'm going to say four or five years, yeah, it starts to flatten out. 
And so what you're looking at is you want to be able to model that, take a whole bunch of curves. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. So you want to be able to find your analogous wells, right. which ones contribute to that. And then you want to construct a type curve or a type well profile off of that. And then you use that as the basis for your cash flow, which is what they're doing here. That's what they're doing there. So it all goes into what wells went into that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So does, does the TGS database plug into what you do? I haven't used TGS yet. Okay. So I really started to look at them um, just probably about a month ago or something like that. Um, and I really wasn't familiar with all that they had. And then looked and saw they've got a lot of stuff that I didn't realize. Yeah. Right? So um, I'm going to look harder at them. Nice. Um, I mean, I use, I use Inveris. Uh, and I've used them for years and years and years, right? Um, and um, I don't know if there's a difference. I just don't know enough about TGS yet. Yeah. But so the data feeds in and you have countless number of wells. You can pull them. You build some sort of type curve right. like that. Yep. Build your ARPS equation around it, something that fits, right? And then you take that equation and then you use it to project new wells that you're going to drill or... Um, Things like uh, uh, maybe I've got a well that's very early on in its life. Say it's been online for four months. Yeah. So I don't really know where the bend is yet. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to build a type curve. I'm going to pull a B factor off of that and I'm going to apply it to that curve that doesn't have wow. any demonstrated bend yet to see where I should expect it to bend. Yeah. Right. And then you've got things like what's your terminal decline rate, which we're just really starting to understand now. Terminal decline rate. Yeah, okay. So so ARPS, uh, so the way those equations fit. So first off, you have, like I mentioned earlier, you have different flow regimes, right? ARPS is really meant for boundary-dominated flow, which is the last phase. Okay. Okay? Um, and because it's, you know, Permian Basin, Delaware, stuff like that, is low perm, um, it takes years to reach that boundary dominated flow. All right. So one, there's an understanding of what flow regime are you in? Okay. And then there's an understanding of, okay, what's my B factor? What's my initial decline rate? So you have a starting decline rate. How's initial and then terminal decline rate then becomes at, at some point in the life of a well, presumably when it gets to boundary dominated flow or sometime after that, it's going to, level out its rate of decline yeah okay otherwise you have infinitely producing wells right. right which does exist it seems like like the north slope there's like wells that are like they were supposed to run out 20 years ago they just keep going but there's a lot of wells that certainly yeah do if well. you don't use something like a terminal decline it's real easy to put a 300 year life on a well and <laughs> i just don't know that i buy that <laughs> so you usually use a terminal decline rate and and so you're I effectively see. capping the rate of flattening yeah if i can say it that way yeah that makes total sense okay and that's a modified arps that does that okay so um back in back in the early days we just used a straight arps and then modified arps became oh you know what we really need to to add a terminal decline rate to this right especially when we start fracking and getting into low perm right because we realized wait a minute it could be eight, nine years before we get into this 
permanent terminal thing terminal decline is that the water like a decline percentage is that what they're kind of that's the terminal decline maybe i'm not sure it's next on to the, that it's next to the b factor part let's see so show me this so what do they got they got start date start rate oil decline so that's initial decline and so i'm assuming this is effective annual decline could be nominal or whatever there's different units of decline um but I'm going to assume this is annual effective decline, uh, oil B factor, and then it has hyperbolic or exponential. So I'm not seeing a terminal decline on okay. this. So okay. this one doesn't have that. This is this is just straight ARPS. That's why it only does the first, like only a nine-year projection. It's not going to go out further yeah. than that. Well, it, yeah. It's got uh, hundred uh, $100 oil and $8 gas. So we're a little off on on numbers here but i get it it looks cool it looks like i can plug and play a little bit with mm -hmm. uh with what this is based on yeah the, the history of the wells yeah absolutely you can build yourself a curve so oh, okay you know and i can run some preliminary economics based off of it that's what this would be for right on well tgs does a cool <clears throat> job in my opinion too of tying it to a bunch of wireline log information that's typically tied to some real models and some like tight cores or that's why i started looking at it yeah. um actually you know because the log information and stuff yeah. that's on there is pretty good yeah um and so that's what caught my eye um and then you know and i just haven't had time to go back yeah. and really dive into it so what kind of ge geologic parameters are you really like honing in on or what you use i know you talked about gravity being a good one that's you know the, the well so you have reservoir parameters yeah. Right, you have geologic parameters, and then you have completion parameters. So it's really three sets. Right, right. Okay, so and I separate those into three, three things. Okay, <laughs> three categories. Yeah. Right. So completion stuff. I mean, that's probably self-explanatory. Yeah. You know, how many fracks? What size fracks? Propping you know, per foot. Propant, yes. Um, propant per foot. Um, you know, what type of propant, um, things like that. Uh, you know, where um, where in the bench is your lateral? At what depth? Okay. Depth to bottom of the formation, top of the formation, things like that. That's all completion stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Reservoir is stuff like, what's my GOR? Okay. Um, how would I expect my GOR to change over time? Because yeah. it will, right? Yeah. What's my water oil ratio? How would I expect my water oil ratio to change over time? Right? Then you get into the geologics, which are organic content, yeah. uh, your log readings, different things like that. And so when you're really looking at all of the stuff, um, you're building some way to track all of those things. Yeah. Can That's why I say your variable pool gets pretty big. Big time. Yeah. Especially you got horizontal wells that could have a density log all the way down them. They certainly usually have gamma ray all the way down them. Uh, and then you can get like in some of the wells we got to drill in the Permian horizontal wolf camp in Woodford. We, uh, we did a massive amount of geochemistry, right? We did XRF, XRD, yes, exactly. Rocky valve paralysis. We did fluids analysis. I mean, you had this insane amount of information over 7,500 feet along this reservoir and then we were going, what is going on here? You yeah, right. Know, so what? you put markers in there and you put those markers or you figure out what your markers are, right? And then you put those markers in a database and then you throw that into 
you know, like a cluster algorithm and things like that. And you can look for geologic sweet spots, right? Yeah. Okay. And then you can look for, um, okay, now let's, if we think we know what our geology is in this area and we know what's important in the geology, okay, now let's look at the completion differences. Yeah. Right. And then now let's compare now, now let's see how completion differences within an analogous geological set impact our performance. Man. Right? And yeah. Then, so that's, that's how awesome. you do it. That's freaking awesome. That is cool. That's, yeah, really, really interesting stuff. Can't imagine uh, having the opportunity to sit down and work on that, you know, over and over, day in and day out. That's, I think, a very unique uh, opportunity. It's fun, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it is fun. And it, I'm kind of, like I said, you know, I, I like to, I guess all my career I've done things that I find very interesting. Yeah. And um, I find it very fascinating. So it just, it's cool. Yeah, it is. It really is. What, where are you at or what are your thoughts on industry, where it's going, oil and gas, uh, where's energy industry going? What are your, what are your thoughts on kind of the way things are, are going? Well, okay. So first of all, the oil industry isn't going anywhere in the next 10 years. I mean, we know that, right? Um, as far as oil prices and everything else, what are the big, what are the big uncertainties? Russia, Ukraine, yep. China, Yep. Right. And then I guess the third one in the bucket may be our uh, <clears throat> domestic policies and things on on oil field. All right. So that means yeah. the third one. So, you know, it's hard to really predict where those are going to go. That's going to drive that's going to drive the price. Those I think those three things drive the price. Yeah. And where you think that's going, um, you know, so uh, CEO of, uh, of Pioneer just recently kind of hinted at, uh, you know, shell boom is, is done. The shell kind of game is, is slowly going away. Uh, at least that was my take of, of what Wall Street Journal got from, mm -hmm. from his little interview. Mm -hmm. I saw that. What do you think? What, what was your reaction to that? I'm not 100% I'm not sold on that. It could be. Um, I think there's lots left. Yeah. But I think what that article was mainly referring to was the giant ones, right? The really, really big wells. Um, you know, I think that was saying, we believe we found most of them. Okay. It was what that was saying. I don't think that's really saying this is the end of it. I think this, yeah. I think it was more saying, and I, I could be wrong. That was just my impression of the article. Yeah. But it was more like, you know, the, the, we, we found the sweet spots where yeah. we have really, really high BOE per foot. Yeah. And we drilled those first. So we prioritize those. Right. It doesn't mean that there's not lots of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or going back in, going back into wells and, and uh, refracking, mm -hmm. you know, and treating them uh, with, with kind of modern technologies and different concepts. That's, that's a big one. It's already drilled. There's no more capital on the, you know, 10 million sink into drilling a new hole and casing and all that. You just go back in and isolate and, yeah, and if you have old verticals and stuff like that, then you already have logs, right? right? So you already know what's there. So that's always a, a big deal, you know, because the horizontals, I mean, right, you, you know, you don't get a log out. Well, I mean, you can't get a useful log out of that, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's useful, but you can't get what you need to really do formation evaluation out of that, right? So those vertical yeah. wells to give you your surveillance, I guess, on 
right. geology and stuff is, is pretty necessary part of this. So sometimes going into older sections where there's a lot of verticals, you've got a good picture of what's there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you think the industry's going, at least in America, shale industry, do you think it's more uh, starting to kind of get into an optimization of the acreage or do you think they're still drilling out all the way to the release end? Cause some of these guys, you know, a thousand horizontals have been, you know, on reserve and, and they're, they're the ducks. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to eventually get to these things and they're eventually going to drill up this acreage completely. Uh, do you think the shift's kind of happening where they're like, hold on, let's just figure out what we got. We know we got good wells. They decline fast. Maybe there's re re-entries and stuff like that. What do you think? I think optimization is a good word for it. Yeah. Right. I think, um, well, we definitely know more, right? So it makes sense to optimize. And I know that I guess the CapEx expenditures are expected to be 20% higher in 2023. But a lot of that is inflation. Yeah. Right? On on yeah. costs. Right. But still, I mean, it's not like... Um, it's not like the CapEx is abandoning the oil field and saying we're done. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think anybody believes that we're done. Yeah. But um, I think that, yeah, I mean, we can be really smart about how we manage and how we optimize the reserves that are there. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's not so much about trying to hit that gusher and it's more about, okay, how do we get very, very efficient at drilling you know, at drilling this other stuff. There may still be more gushers out there, and there probably are, yeah. right? But it's more about, okay, let's let's see how we're efficient, you know, and let's be smart on how we how we do things. Yeah. So that's where I think it's going. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, all the other stuff is, you know, it's out of our control, really, but the production we have, the assets we have, the capital we have, the operators we have, I really, it just seems logic that it's like, okay, let's, you know, we don't need to go put more holes in the ground, more well bores in the ground as fast as we once were. Yeah. But some of these leases were like, Hey, you better have a rig drilling on my, on my mineral rights. You know, the, the, the mineral owners were putting in these clauses, these drilling clauses. Oh, I do a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, Whoa. So you got to kind of go, okay, hold on. Not going to lose the acreage. Can't do that. And can't keep, just pounding holes into the ground. Got to optimize what you have. Production's kind of rolling up on them. And now we got this opportunity. Okay, we've, we've, we have learned a lot. Let's let's optimize. Let's be smart about how we do it. Yeah. Yeah, and let's not go full bore fast as we can go, fast as we can go. Which, I'm not going to say everybody was doing that. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of thought that goes into this. It's not oh, yeah. random. So, yeah. I mean, let's be smart and let's maximize maximize development dollars, Yeah, you know, and whatever that means, um, you know, let's, you know, maybe we don't need to hit a home run on every well, right. which we don't right. as an industry. Base hits win championships, right? And there you go. There you go. Yep. Interesting, man. Very, very interesting. I've enjoyed the heck out of this show. I feel like we keep talking for a very long time. Uh, but I think we should probably uh, wrap it up. Maybe we have a follow-up show. Uh, I certainly am all about learning more of the current instruments or dashboards or 
you know, what you're creating now and, and what it's uh, benefiting p certain different operators or how that's benefiting the industry. I'd love to learn more about that and help in any way of, of getting that message out there and helping with, uh, yeah, letting people know that. Awesome. You, awesome. You well, I had fun this morning. So yeah. You mentioned being a, a drummer now in uh, kind of Christian pop, like you do it with the church, right? Local church. Yeah, I'm not playing with the church at the moment, but okay. I have played with a bunch of different churches. Yeah. It just reminded me of a, a recent random uh, Uber ride. You know, I'm in the back, I'm getting a ride and in Midland going out to to uh, meet with an electrician. And uh, and she just yapping. And I'm like, all right, like I got a talkative Uber. Like I'm not really, I'm I'm literally like on the laptop or doing something in the backseat, but she's just talking and talking about her kids. And she mentioned something that was pretty interesting to me. She said, my kids are always you know, arguing. And sometimes people say, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite child? She's like, in the moment, I have a favorite, you know, like this one's screaming about nonsense. And this one's giving me a good time. Yeah. This one's my favorite. <laughs> this one did their chores today. And this one didn't. You know? Yes. Yeah. But what she meant, what she mentioned to me was in the car, if your kids are in the back seat, which they always are, and they eventually start arguing and bickering about whatever it is. Don't touch me. She said she cranks up Christian music and she doesn't, she knows they don't even realize, you know, really it's just music. But she yeah. said they start reacting totally different. They start calming down. Like, it, isn't that interesting? Oh, it's, well, it's, it's absolutely true, right? I you've, mean. You've experienced this? Oh, of course. Of course. So I've been a big K-Love fan for years. Okay. Right? And, I, you know, I mean, you know, today, if, if there's something like, okay, this is not going quite right. I feel myself, I feel the, the grumpy starting to, to filter in. Yeah. And the other day, I put on some songs by Hillsong, which is a Christian group, and listened to the house. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, all right. You know, You're ready just, to go. You know, music, music, some music. You get up for me. Christian music does it. Also, you get up in the morning and you you find your quiet place. You pray, okay, and you talk about what you are grateful for that day. It might be the sunrise. Yeah. It might be the fact that you're breathing today. Right. It might be the fact that somebody you knew got well. Yeah. It could be anything, but there are a bazillion reasons to be grateful today. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for getting up in the morning and spending a little time, you know, taking and that think, in and, and understand that and say it. Yeah. Right. And the music helps as well. And you just, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just the way to be. I think. Yeah. Kind of helps you get on the wave. It helps yeah. you get, get on, on the, the wave, catch the wave for the day. I like it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right on. Well, Gary, man, again, I, I feel like I can just keep talking and I want to, but uh, we got events coming up with the South Texas Geologic Society mm -hmm. next Thursday is a happy hour. We're going to do it right here at the, um, oh, don't kill me for this one. Uh, it is called the Beer Garden, What uh, Burleson. Burleson Beer Garden. It's right at the, okay. basically at the end of Commerce and the 37. Okay. And then you just go north on 37, like a block or two, and it's right in that area. Okay. All right. I will, I will find it. Yeah. Right on. That, those, those were like the last one was a great, great yeah. get together. So oh, I really man. enjoy those. Yep. Yep. Uh, likewise. So, and we need to, we need to invite, uh, you know, all the contacts you have, you know, that to, to be out there. I'd love to meet up the, uh, the code up guys, maybe do a show with one of those guys. And uh, talk more about the analytics and data and machine learning, all this stuff that we learned today. 
Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I really enjoyed sharing this time with you. And I, I, I had thank, fun. Thank I you. had a lot of fun this morning.